five. Now this is most important, Rat. It comes down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Rock All Over You Podcast! Let's rock! Eric and Edwin! Edwin and Eric! They don't give a fuck! They just want you to rock! Yeah! Bam 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 Dilly D! Bam bam bam! So what the hell's going on? Why am I getting wake-up calls from the cops? Oh, there was nothing. They just left just now. False alarm, coach. Come here, Randy. Come here. You been out with those losers all night? Hey, Coach Conrad. Remember me? Second period, gym class? That's the kind of people I was telling you about. Trouble like this means nothing to that bunch of clowns. You're the one with something to lose. <laughs> now, Coach, you don't even know them. Randy... How can you even pretend to talk that way, huh? Okay, Randy. I shouldn't do this, but I'm willing to wipe the slate clean and forget about all of this. I want you to finally get your priorities straightened out, quit hanging out with that bunch of hoodlums, and sign your commitment to your team. Have you done that yet? I'm still thinking about it. No one's paying you to think about it. Just do it, son! You know, Coach, I gotta get going. Me and my loser friends, you know, we gotta go get Aerosmith tickets. Top priority of the summer. Alright, and this is our Aerosmith review. Edwin, how are you, man? You ready to dive in some uh, Aerosmith? Oh, yeah, always, especially 70s Aerosmith, I'm always ready to dive into. Head first, I love 70s Aerosmith. If Aerosmith stops, like, after ro- Rock in a Hard Place... Like, uh, for me, it was after this album that we're talking about. This, like, yeah, I, for me, this is where yeah, it ended. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm a fan of Rock and a Hard Place. You know, it's okay, a dark horse album, which yeah. we'll talk a little bit about because we'll talk a little bit about Jimmy Crispo. Um, yeah. But that's like the last one, and I do like their other '80s albums. I like Done with Mirrors and Permification Pump. But I think Pump's I, a good album. Pump's, I think that's Pump's a solid good. one. But that's a solid that, album. Oh, but after, like, but not, but it can't compare to the '70s stuff. And then after that, every decade gets worse and worse and worse. Um, I, I think Nine Lives is better than Get a Grip, but still, nothing. Can, and then I like Taste of India, but I think you know why. Yeah, you're, you're in that Indian thing. <laughs> well, I've had a taste of India in the past. I know you had a taste of it. Uh, and Oh, and then in the, obviously in the 2000s, Aerosmith just started sucking big time. Oh, God, but, yeah. But in the 70s, man, in the 70s, they were one of the greatest rock bands ever. They were one of the great American rock bands. And so, and I still, those those first six Aerosmith albums, you know, I'd go with seven. But let's just say, for sake of argument, the first six Aerosmith albums, they're like, you know, it's like the first six Black Sabbath albums, you know, they're just, yeah. they're, I love them all. I love them all to varying degrees. I think like a lot of people, I guess, draw the lines my least favorite of the first six, but it's still awesome. I still love that album. Oh, I'm not a big fan of Draw the Line. But oh, hey, I'm, um, I'm a bigger we, fan. I'm a bigger Aerosmith fan than you, apparently. <laughs> I, I love all that shit. I love all the 70s shit. It's all great. But hey, we got ourselves a really, really special guest star for uh, this episode. Uh, me and him were raising some hell on an uh, episode of the Freeform Rock podcast last night, uh, hence why I'm hungover and why I'm drinking sangria instead of my usual beer, uh, because I can't stomach like anything too alcoholic tasting uh, after last night. 
But, uh, oh my god, uh, straight from the nearest, uh, Lee, where are you living now? In New- you're living in New York, um, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm terribly I'm, sorry about that. Oh, it's <laughs> but, okay, but, but do you know, um, the, um, Tom's Diner? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I live about maybe a 30 second walk away from there. Oh, you mean, you, you mean, Tom, it's actually, so you finally, you're, you're not at a homeless shelter with Wi-Fi, you, you're actually somewhere. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So you got your own uh, apartment there? I've, I've got my own place there, yes. So you mean, when you say Tom Steiner, I know that's the song, the Susan Vegas song, but it's based on Tom's yeah. restaurant. It's called yeah, Tom's yeah, Restaurant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But, 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 but they might, might also have the sign diner, I forget. But yeah, Tom's Restaurant, yeah. Yeah, I know it's, it was used for the exterior shots in Seinfeld. Yeah, it's they, actually yeah. a good place to eat. A lot of people I, say no. But I actually think it's a good place to eat. Well, guess what, Lee? I used to eat there because you actually live wow. in lo- one of my old neighborhoods. I used to live on the Upper oh, West wow. Side. That's yeah, I, cool. I lived on uh, 122nd Street, like on the border of uh, Upper West Side in Harlem. Like, you know where Columbia University is? Oh, definitely. In fact, yeah. um, you live very close to where my sister um, would live. Yeah. So yeah, and you're so you're just like uh, like like ten blocks away from yeah. Uh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. That's In a fact, really I, nice I, I, part I of the city. For a little bit, for a little bit, I stayed at 120s. So we we were yeah. kind of probably not at the same time, but neighbors. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Same neighborhood. That's cool. That's a really yeah, for people that don't know. That's a really nice neighborhood. He like lives in a yeah. very nice neighborhood. So that's nice. And, yeah. And and a very trivial um, rock and roll point. Is do you know the album "The Kids Are Alright" by the Who? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's a yeah, good yeah. Album. And then, then, then you know that that one where they're sitting by this um, what looks like like a statue kind of a thing, but they're laying down or whatever. Yeah, by, uh, you know the front cover. That was on 116. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a picture of me um, by there too. Now there you go. Yeah. Now, Lee, you're uh, quite the uh, songwriter, and I wanted to know yeah. if we could get just a little sample of uh, one of your infamous songs, maybe Bugs on Cheese. We get like a 30-second iTunes uh, sample um, of it. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I'll do a really quick version. Yeah, yeah, I've give us a quick it. version, because Lee is... Right. Fuck Aerosmith. Yeah. Lee Gershman's fucking talented as shit. All right, man. all right. One, one moment. All right. <laughs> Oh shit, he's got that Casio. <laughs> One moment. <laughs> well, I thought that was the song. <laughs> Why does it sound like Read My we Mind? We are bugs on cheese. We are bugs on cheese. I'm on the podcast with Eric and Edwin, if you please. Cause we are some bugs on cheese. Uh, look, someone's gotta have to break out the wet floor signs, man. That song made yeah. all the girls wet. I dig yeah. it. I dig Hell it. yeah, man. Bugs on cheese. The, l- yeah. Lee, who who are some of your musical influences? If you had to oh, pick? um, I I usually was more into just listening to music, but 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 when I was really really young, like when I was like really young and I started to really hear music. I liked the fifth dimension, like Up Up and Away and I liked um Stone Soul Picnic and stuff. And yep. then later on I um well 
the Beatles and the Rolling Stones as far as listening were concerned, but um, lyrically I liked Dylan, but I, I, um, I also liked stuff by Cactus, I liked the Chambers Brothers, I liked Jackson 5, um, that's like early, I liked the Siegel Schwal Band, I liked Jimi Hendrix, you know, later on, um, maybe song-wise um, influenced when I was reading music maybe a little bit of like well well i had the beatles complete songbook so the beatles and but also like neil young and um you know and and motown yeah. you know and stevie wonder and stuff and um so yeah that that's 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 um, basically and, and 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 I also liked. I heard you're a big Bon Jovi fan. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> and and um and and Ted Nugent for for lyrics because I wrote really weird lyrics and Frank Zappa and stuff. Yeah, like I, I was gonna say I can kind of see uh, uh, Frank Zappa. Also, have you ever listened to the uh, band Ween? I, I've heard a little bit of them, and I don't really care for them that much. Oh, that's interesting. I thought you'd like them, because they, they do kind of similar stuff, especially in the early days, with, like, drum machines and stuff, oh. and their songs are kind of... Their earlier can, stuff you might I like I can listen better. to 10 or, uh, 10 or 20 seconds of them before <laughs> yeah. I shut it off. So, yeah, I, I like 10 or 20 seconds. All right, all right. So, cool. And, obviously, Lee, Lee Gerstman. And it, you pronounce it Gerstman, right? I know your yes. co-host has problems you, with you, your name. Um, you, you, you pronounce it absolutely perfect. Yeah. It's because of Mark that every time I try and, like, tag you in a post, I can never fucking find you because I'm so used to Mark saying Gerstman that I keep spelling it with an H. I'm like, why the hell is he not popping up on the tag thing? <laughs> yeah. As long as people don't call me fucking asshole, they're they're they're, they're good. <laughs> they they didn't call me dooby dooby da da or bubba dubba dooby 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 dooby. Uh, so that's awesome. And yeah, so you could if you want to hear Lee, well, go on your what what you know. We'll, we'll plug where, you. Where can we shit. find your music? Yeah, where where do you find your yeah. videos and stuff? I mean, because not a lot of people live in your area and can just like find you on the streets, like handing out your uh, you know your mixtape. You know, drop it yeah. in trick or treat baskets during Halloween season. Yeah, I I used to try to do that, and then all of a sudden, um, none of the birds or none of the dogs ever wanted to um 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 drag them in their mouth anymore. <laughs> so then I said, screw it. But, but uh, no, little kids uh, crying because they got uh, a, a Lee Gerstmann demo in their ass. Instead of, <laughs> instead oh, of a Charlie Brown, man, he was like, "God damn it, I got another Lee Gerstmann mixtape, man." Bugs on Cheese, the remix. Although I think not, the kids, the kids don't appreciate good, good things. Music, yeah. yeah, kids are all about candy. They're little little cretins. They're not. Yeah, that yeah. Not I that like smart. the candy. Yeah, they. Yeah. I, I hate it when they take my candy. But anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm on um, YouTube, if, if you can, if people can type in my first name, L-E-E, -E, and then put in a space, and then do G-E-R-S-T-M-A-N-N, and, and do that on YouTube, and you can probably find me. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, uh, you're part of uh, the RMCP army, I think. I mean, I know you're on some stuff. I, you're not. You don't post that much. You do post more, obviously, on the freeform podcast uh, group. So that's another place where people could go. Yeah, and I, see your I'm, stuff. Yeah, I, I haven't been posting much 
um, things just because I'm I'm I am at the point where I think that not a lot of people are really hip to a lot of what I'm hip to, and so I'm saying, well, screw them. But 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 once in a while, I I, I apologize at least to myself for for saying it out loud, and I post stuff. Hey, I think people that are hip to hip stuff would like just your kidding. stuff, but unfortunately, yeah. not Actually, not a lot you're, of people cool. are hip. You are cool, and 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 you you're both you're both cool, you know. And, Thank you, and, and, so, and so that that's why I do post in in your groups. Awesome, so, and, and also so you. Oh, no, wait, you go, say, go ahead, Eric. Well, I was going to ask Lee, Mr. Lee Gertzman, uh, when when did you discover Aerosmith, and uh, when did you discover uh, the specific album that we're talking about? Because it's kind of a dark horse album uh, with Aerosmith. Oh, okay. Well, um, I first had heard of Aerosmith because, well, my brother Steve, um, when he had moved from Hawaii, um, he, he had moved to Hawaii and back a few times. So this is probably when he was back after, like, the mid-early 70s, like, maybe maybe 74 or 75 kind of period and he um said the groups that people are into uh well well he was into a different group but he said people weren't into the group he was into they were into groups like Aerosmith and and he said it like with a like a bitter taste in his mouth like ew if I have to have a dessert I might as well have that Damn, Aerosmith. Yeah, but, so what, but, kind, what, <laughs> what kind of shit did he like? I'm just curious. Um, well, he, he was into Sons of Champlin, and and he also liked... Um, well, well they're, they're a group I can give you a link to because their stuff is not so well-known, but Bill Champlin from Sons of Champlin later was in the group Chicago. He's, he's the guy with the beard who sang Hard Habit to Break, which right, is so not their best stuff, but, but, but that's how you would know him. So, so okay. he was into See, stuff the guy like that. You're the inspiration. Yeah, yeah. That that's not necessarily the kind of stuff that he did back then. He they, yeah. they, they, they were a little more cool, jazzy, and they liked to use a lot of substances and get high. So, and so he liked and, like more underground or progressive kind of stuff, or, um, or j- yeah, jazzy yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and and he also kind of liked Neil Young. But anyway. Um, yeah. I had heard of um, Aerosmith from him, and then finally at a Foster's Freeze, I I had saw like um, they they had like um, jukebox, and so I saw that there was a like a single of Aerosmith. It was Dream On, and I don't know what the other song was, and I know that. Alright, but the jukebox in I, I put the quarter for the three songs and I picked Dream On and I I thought ew yuck and then and then <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what the other song was um, I know I liked it but I know that I I, I couldn't tell you what it was yeah. and, and I didn't even know if it was Aerosmith it might have been another song but yeah but then I um, later at high school there was this, um, they, they had a phonograph where people could bring in albums, and one lady 
CC Philpot. Um, she kind of looked like if 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 you remember the the um, lady who played Eric Foreman's sister on that '70s show. Oh, that's like, like, hot. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I I forget her name, but but the lady, the girl in class, her name was CC Philpot, and 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 she she looked almost exactly like that. And she came in. And she brought an Aerosmith Rocks, and and I heard back in the saddle. And I said, "Oh hell, this is awesome!" And it's then probably so, better than the Bon Jovi record you brought in. Hey, <laughs> but 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 yeah yeah. Uh, it, it, if you want me to lose my voice yelling, then keep mentioning <laughs> that shit. So but, this very attractive girl in the seventies brings in Rocks. Did she yeah. have her? Was her shirt tucked in? Um. Oh yeah. Well, well, actually, she usually tied it, um, which oh, I, I didn't really it's like. A different. Oh, you but, don't but, like that. <laughs> but but but, but I, 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 well, um, that didn't mean I, I I wouldn't look anyway. So so I'm going to contradict myself there, you know. But, I, I got but, what you're saying. Like you said, this is nice, but I prefer if it was just tucked in. Yeah, yeah, but it'll but, do. But, but, but but back then, um, just the fact that if if the girls didn't spit at me, if they act, actually acted nice, that was almost that was good enough. So was this a re- was this like a record of rocks, a vinyl? It, yes, yes. And and so um, she brought in rocks, and then and then I heard back in the cell, and I thought this is good. So then later on, um, I wanted to get an album by. Aerosmith, and so I told my mom about them, and then she, um, there was this store that was like a weird, like, it was like a combination, I think, like a weird jewelry store, head shop, um, barber shop, and record stores, like, <laughs> one of those weird stores that were only open for a month, but while we're open, you can probably find anything you want, and she went and she got um, she she asked the the person at the counter what's a good album to get, and they picked Draw the Line, which I really like. And and while you were talking about and you didn't introduce me, I felt like screaming, but I I, I, I kept my tongue. But the, 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 <laughs> but 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 uh, but that was a cool album, and I liked the cover. And and I heard that they were acid rock, and just the idea of it being called acid rock also intrigued me. So I bought. I got it, and I was like, wow, that's cool. And then after that, I don't know what order I got the albums in, but I was like a completist, and I got everything by Aerosmith. And by the time Night in the Ruts had come out, I was, that was like, I was already getting all other albums. So when that came so, out, of course I got it. And so, yeah, so this I was got like it a when brick, it first so came you got out. It. Yeah. Yeah, so you got yeah. it when it was brand new in 1979. Yeah, that wow. was probably when you were born. So I'm sorry, you so know. One so, year so, after. so you probably yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so you didn't you 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 only knew Aerosmith back in the 2000s. I'm sorry, but, but yeah, anyway, I, didn't know. I was one, I was one years old. One year. <laughs> yeah, one right. year. Old. I, I was swimming <laughs> in my dad's nutsack. Yeah, Eric wasn't even born yet. Eric yeah. wasn't. Even- <laughs> It, yeah, faithful day when he was like, listening to Firehouse. I was kidding, and I was, and I was hoping that, that you were actually a, a, actually older than you are. Oh my! But no, um, a- 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 Eric's actually uh, twenty nine years old. Doesn't that melt your mind? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I was yeah. born in nineteen sixty five. Now that is Son a bitch. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, well, yeah, there's older people. Yeah, <laughs> un- unfortunately, and they all look younger than me, damn it. But Aerosmith, but, but, for example, Aerosmith is much older than you, Lee. <laughs> yeah, and they look younger than me, damn it. But, but well, anyway. Uh, some of them. All right. Some I, of I, them, I, yeah. Brad Whitford looks fucking like he's staring down the fucking barrel right now. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but he's but anyway. the youngest one, too. Oh, wow. So here's a question, uh, and I don't want to get too far away from that. That's all I wanted to say. But, yeah, so uh, without, like, spoiling your thoughts on the album and the songs, just as a general impression, I'm curious, were you, as this new Aerosmith album, now that you've had all their albums and was a fan, was it, uh, were you happy with it? Were you, did you think it was a good album? without, Without getting too much into what I thought, let's say that one of my band members, um, back then, when when we were doing music I played it for him um, and he he was like wow this is cool you know and and I don't know how much he knew about Aerosmith but he heard it and he was like yeah right on I like this song and I like this song and so I was playing the album for him so it's very cool I'll say I'll say, mm-hmm. I'll say that um, the time when I stopped getting into Aerosmith was when they did done with mirrors not because i necessarily disliked that album but because when 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 they got back together then i found out oh the only reason why they were not together was because they were kind of fucked up on drugs it's like so it's like they were taking a vacation so who cares you know it was <laughs> well, they, they were bet they were better when they were on drugs oh fuck yeah out. man Aer- aerosmith needs to take some more drugs and so they can write good music again god damn it yeah, yeah, so, yeah so, oh, so i just just decided that they they were even though they weren't i thought of them as scab aerosmith from done with mirrors on yeah because they lost their important most important member drugs cocaine yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so Eric, uh, what, what's your, you know, we've never really talked so much about Aerosmith. Obviously, yeah. you're not as big of a fan as I am. Although I don't think you hate them. I don't know. Uh, I yeah. mean, early stuff. I mean, so what's your what's your deal with Aerosmith? With Aerosmith, man, I I loved Aerosmith, and I don't hate them. Uh, you know, if us if I'm listening to a song of theirs, I'm loving it. It's good. I mean, unless it's the '90s shit, besides Pump, but. Uh, you know, I love Aerosmith, uh, but it's just I don't listen to them that much anymore. Um, they're not something I really go to anymore to listen to. You know, I, it used to be a totally different story when uh, I was younger. But basically, my story with Aerosmith, um, I you know, was into Kiss, Iron Maiden, and just all these bands. And uh, my mom had a Saturday Night Live videotape. And it had, like, the best of Saturday Night Live on there, and it had Wayne's World. I loved Wayne's World. I had already seen the, the first one. And yeah. so I'm watching this VHS tape, and they had the skit with Aerosmith guest starring, with the, you know, the Tom Hanks and all that. And I hear them doing uh, the version of Wayne, their version of Wayne's World, and it blew me away, man. Uh, Steven Tyler's voice in particular, just, you know, phenomenal. And from there, I, you know, went and raided my mom's CD collection, you know, like I always do when I discover a new band. And I, you know, listened to Toys in the Attic, uh, Rocks, you know. And even back then, I actually did used to like the 90s stuff when I was just a young, dumb kid. I grew up to find out and that stuff's really mediocre and crappy. It doesn't hold up to the 70s stuff. And as I got older, there were always a band that I was really into. And in high school, I was like, probably the height of my Aerosmith love. 
because my best friend Nick Mills, who was the bass player in my band and probably one of my best friends of all time, he was obsessed with Aerosmith. At the time, they were his number one favorite band for Guns N' Roses took that spot. And me and him used to listen to Aerosmith all the time. We actually used to cover Eat the Rich, which is probably one of the only songs I like off Get a Grip. And I swear we had covered another Aerosmith song in our band. But we loved Aerosmith. But for whatever reason, even with him, like, they aged badly with him. We're like, we love the 70s stuff still, but we just don't really go back and listen to it a whole lot. And I love this album. I actually think Chiquita was one of the first Aerosmith songs me and him listened to together. You know, we're hanging out at his place one day uh, after school, and he pulled up Chiquita on his uh, computer on YouTube because we're just listening to music. And... I was, you know, wasn't impressed with the song. I actually did not like Chiquita at first, you know, spoiler alert. Uh, but it grew on me. And from there, I, like, had to get this album because it's the only Aerosmith album at that time that I hadn't heard yet. And it, it kind of blew me away. It's very underrated, in my opinion. Phenomenal album. But, yeah, I, I fucking love me some Aerosmith. If, you're, if you ever put on Aerosmith and it's, like, the good 70s shit, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to rock out to it. But, like, it's not something that, like, you know, if I'm shuffling through my iPod trying to find something to listen to, I'm not really going to go to Aerosmith for whatever reason. I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, I was listening to this album, you know, pretty much all these last two weeks to prepare for this episode. So, Edwin, that leaves us with you. How did you discover Aerosmith and this album before we uh, get into it? Yeah, I'll try to keep this uh, quick. I-, I will point people if they want to hear me go off a little more about this. I do have, it's actually one of my earlier videos and one of my more popular videos on YouTube where I reviewed the entire Aerosmith discography. It's before I was ranking them, so it's not a rank around <laughs> But uh, I do, I like, it's a real in-depth, like, two-hour video where I talk about every Aerosmith song, and my relationship, how I got into them. And then I have another video, too, where I talk just specifically about the Gems compilation, which was this cool compilation from the late 80s where it was all deep tracks. And it's an important album because Gems, that compilation, is what really got me into music in a really big way. Like, I had, like I said on the last episode, our Doors episode, that the first cassette I ever bought with my own money was a Doors Greatest Hits. But, um,. I think the second cassette I ever bought my own money, well, when I say my own money, allowance money, you know, my parents' money that they gave me and I pretended it was mine, you know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, was it was Gems. It was a compilation because I had borrowed my brother's permanentification. My brother was like five years older and he was very into hair metal and stuff. And he, you know, he was like always, like he was like five years older, so he was like, he was listening to a lot of heavy metal and stuff that, you know, I was just a little kid. I was just listening to pop stuff on the radio. But I had started listening to some of the stuff he was into, and I liked he had uh, the CDs of Appetite for Destruction and Permification, and I liked those CDs a little more than him. And uh, so they were my gateway to that kind of music, that more kind of 70s rock sound, because even though Guns N' Roses was late 80s, they kind of, unlike a lot of the other hair metal bands that my brother was into, they had a little more of a rootsy kind of sound that harkened back to the Stones and Zeppelin and, and Aerosmith a lot, you know, especially Aerosmith. And Permification, obviously, was a gateway. But it was when my buddy Mike Rossi, it's a, Aerosmith's a great bro-down group, you know, it's a great group for adolescent boys to kind of get into together. So yeah. I, my friend was Mike Rossi, and he had the cassette of gems, and he said, hey, this is their older stuff. And he, we listened to it, and man, this it was such a great compilation. So it was all deep tracks. So I heard more Aerosmith deep tracks before I even heard a lot of their hits. Like, I heard 
like no surprise before I heard Dream On. Oh, like, so, yeah. So I got pushed into the the deep the deep end. I knew Walk This Way, but I knew like the Run DMC, you know, Arrow. Same here. Yeah. And so I I think I knew like Sweet Emotion. That was the only song of theirs that I had heard on the radio prior to the Ooh. you know the the perma vacation stuff. So. So I got like deep in, and that compilation's amazing. So definitely, ch- uh, it, it's you know it has Lord of the Thighs and No Surprise and Rats in the Cellar. Nobody I believe that was put together by uh, Paul O'Neill of TSO fame and Sabotage fame. Well, there you go. That's I why think he, he was knows gonna, like shit. produced it, arranged it. Yeah, they were trying because at the time Aerosmith was on Geffen, but Columbia still had their '70s catalog, so they were obviously exploiting the comeback at Geffen to put out an Aerosmith uh, material. Put out yeah, yeah. But at the same time, they wisely realized that there was a whole generation of rock bands from from the hair metal bands to like Motley Crue to Guns N' Roses to even thrash bands like Testament was covering Nobody's Fault that they said, hey, let's let's show people let's like the kind of Aerosmith stuff that inspired these bands, these current bands. Like that's what I think the thinking was like, you know, hey, you like Guns N' Roses? You like, well, here's here's that kind of music done here's by the band Aerosmith. That influenced them. Exactly. So it was like perfect. So it was a perfect album, and and it's the first album I got that made me then want to go back and do you know what we say we call it the deep dive, the thing that yeah. makes you go back. And this was the first time it ever happened. The first time I ever went and said I want to get all the older albums because I didn't even <laughs> do. I did that a little bit later with the Doors, but I didn't do it immediately. Gems was the first time I immediately said, I have to get these albums that these songs are from. And it had a little, like, thing that came with the album that told you where all the songs were from. So it was, it was useful. And yeah. I did the Columbia House scam. It was the first time I did the Columbia House scam. And I, with one, you could get, like, ten CDs for just one dollar. Yeah. And, and then you just have to buy, like, a two or three CDs at the real price, but you know you never did it. You know, it was, yeah, uh, no one ever fucking did. <laughs> you didn't do my it. Dad, my dad did that shit all the time back when, that, and my mom too, when that was still a thing. Yeah, before there was Mister X, I had uh, Columbia House. So I, <laughs> I, it, it, so it was immediately like that first score. I got like the first six or seven Aerosmith albums. Yeah, fuck like, yeah, yeah. And so I, it, it, you know, um, Ralph told a similar story about when he got the Beatles box set, like you know that he slowly he listened to everything chronologically, and I did that for Aerosmith. Like I'd already heard these songs on Gems, but uh, me and my friend Mike Rossi, we would just sit and listen. We listened from Aerosmith to I think we went up to I think maybe Rock in a Hard Place. We had I I don't know I I don't remember that to be honest. I know I had it a few months later. I definitely know the first six I had. I listened to Aerosmith up to Night in the Ruts chronologically, <laughs> and and I became obsessed. And like a few months later, I would do the same thing with ACDC, and it would start a trend. If this is what you know, and then Metallica and other bands, but it started. Oh, I feel sorry for you on the Metallica one. <laughs> well, this was this was before this was like before the Black Album came out. <laughs> oh, okay. So then that was a good that was a good journey then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it. <laughs> So, um, this is, uh, so, yeah, so Aerosmith will always have a soft spot in my heart, and it was the first concert I ever went to was the Pump Tour, and Pump was the first, like, new album that came out of theirs when I got into them, kind of like Night of the Ruts was for Lee, Pump was for me, you know, it's like, ooh, now I'm really into Aerosmith, I have all their albums, 
and then Pump came out. So, of course, I was very excited. And that Wayne's World episode, you know, that you talked about, Eric, yeah. was a classic. I loved that, and I loved Wayne's World. I was very similar to, to the character of Wayne Campbell and my buddy Mike Same here. Me and my friend watched that movie religiously. Yeah, and it's, 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 a, it's, it's a rite of passage. So, in a lot of ways, Aerosmith, in this era, and one of my favorite songs on Gems was the song that was represented from this album, No Surprise. I love No Surprise, and so it was, so, you know, when I listened to Night in Ruts, um, I can tell you, um, I, I did like it a lot, I liked it a lot, it was not one of my favorites, I think like a lot of people, it was um, Get Your Wings, Toys in the Attic, and Rocks, those were like the three I really kind of focused on, Yeah. but, but over the years, Night in the Ruts, uh, my opinion of it has grown and now I will say it is my second favorite Aerosmith album. And it has been for oh, a yeah. while, Right after Rocks. Rocks is easily my favorite. I'd say Get Your Wings is my third. Toys in the Attic is my fourth. Then maybe the, fir- the first album. Uh, so that's like my top five. But Night Air Rocks is a pretty locked in there second favorite album of mine. And I'll go into all the reasons why I love this album when we go track for track. But that's my history of Aerosmith. And I do think, you know, Aerosmith at a time in the 70s was was at the time the greatest American band, maybe until Van Halen came, you know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Once Van Halen came, I'm sorry. And then, and then Van Halen <laughs> they was... They can't compete. Yeah, and then the Van Halen was the greatest American band. But there was a period there. I say from Get Your Wings, uh, to, you know, to um, Rocks, you know, those three albums in the mid yeah. 70s, they were the top, you know, that I think, as far as American rock bands go. But... Hey, let's get into this. So, Lee. Hell yeah. yeah. Lee. Oh, 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 oh. Yes. I, 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 I thought that, that I was hearing voices. Oh, oh, well, hi. Yes. How are you? I guess yeah. I'm on a podcast. We are not in your head. You're on, on a podcast. <laughs> in my head. That way I would feel safer. Anyway, go on. Okay, well, actually, one thing before we jump into because this is important when we talk about the songs. Um, This album is the album where Aerosmith kind of started to break up because but they imploded they imploded on this album but a lot of people don't realize that there's still a lot of Joe Perry on this album oh yeah he recorded well, a lot of tracks well real quick I'll, I'll kind of give like a brief like rundown I mean what I, happened was oh, they were recording this album they were recording this album and like they were so fucked up this is the, like this is the point where the drugs really were starting to work against them uh, obviously not songwriting wise because I you know, I think it's a pretty solid album uh, music wise, but this it, really the drugs are starting to work against them, and basically they were starting to fall apart. They were arguing all the time, fighting, and they were struggling too to like finish this album. Like Steven Tyler, I think like could not come up with lyrics for like the first half of making this album. He could not come up with lyrics at all. Much like Tony Iommi. When he was trying to write riffs for Sabbath Blaze Sabbath, where he just was like blank, he couldn't come up with anything. And basically, what happened was they took so long to make this album that they blew through all the budget money, and the record company sent them back out on tour uh, in the middle of making this record so they could make more money to keep continuing making this album. Well, it was on that tour, like just the tensions were so high. That literally, it was, I believe, Tom Hamilton's wife and Joe Perry's wife got into an argument over spilt milk, and then yep. those two got into it, and they got pissed off each other, and Joe Perry finally was just like, fuck you guys, I'm done, uh, and he just left. Uh, and he recorded pretty much, so he recorded most of the guitar tracks for this album before he quit, because, uh, like I said, they were mainly waiting on Steven to come up with lyrics, 
Uh, so that was what they were mainly waiting on was for him to come up with the lyrics. So they had most of this album done. Like, his parts were pretty much finished. But, yeah, he left literally over an argument over spilled milk. Like, just the drug abuse and all that was just really starting to get to him on this album. And, I mean, you, you, you know, the, there's one specific song where, like, it's almost like you could tell it's, like, the end of the band by hearing it, like, how somber it is. But we'll get into that when we get to that song. But... Yeah, that's what happened with this album, and that's kind of sadly why um, this album's not looked at too fondly, because uh, it's a great album, in my opinion, but I think it's the whole stigma around it, that this is like the breakup album, that people kind of maybe think that's a bad album, when in reality it's a good album, it's just there's some drama during the making yeah. of it. Yeah, and when they toured for it, and they had promotional videos for it, it showed Jimmy Crispo. Yeah, I remember place. watching that. Yeah, and they're I, cool videos, I love those two I videos. I love those videos. <laughs> I remember watching those two for the first time, and I I still wasn't very familiar with the history of Aerosmith. I just knew their music, and so I'm watching. I'm like, who the fuck's this geeky looking guy? That's not Joe Perry. Like, who the fuck is this? And he's like, oh, that's the guy who replaced Joe Perry. I'm like, Joe Perry left at one point, so it, it was a shock when I saw those videos for the first time because I never mm. knew Joe Perry had left Aerosmith at any point. I thought yeah. they just fizzled out from drug abuse. But on those two videos, and I do want to ask Lee something about this, but in those two vi- promotional videos for Chiquita and No Surprise. Uh, yeah, Joe Perry's playing those parts. Uh, it's just showing Jimmy. He's just like miming it. You know, it's kind of like uh, Simon Wright with Bill Rudd's, you know, when they did the promotional videos for Flick and the Switch, you know. It's kind of a similar thing. He does play. He Jimmy Crispo did do one guitar solo on this album, but he actually, it's not It's not until the next album where he really, uh, it's, you know, starts playing. It's uh, pretty much Whitford finished up whatever Joe Perry didn't do. Um, so, Lee, question... I want to say some first. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say this anyway. Back then, um, we didn't know stuff like this. You know. Yeah, um, that's what I was going to ask. You. Hindsight, but back then, all we knew was this is the next Aerosmith album. So, so the fact that they were on drugs, I guess people knew that, but we didn't know that there was intention fighting. We didn't know that. All we knew was. This is the next Aerosmith album. That's all. But you I- didn't know. So you didn't know Joe Perry had left the band by the time this album came out. You didn't know that. I found out afterwards. Okay. When when, when he did leave, but during this time, um, it's like when the album came out. At least for a few weeks, I didn't. Know. Okay. Okay. Did you Did you ever see them live during this period? I. I did not get to see them live, no. I have seen clips. I gotta tell you, this is one thing about Jimmy Crispo. I'm always sing, uh, singing his praises. Very underrated guitars. Just clips of them, um, and some of the stuff from this tour you could actually hear on the uh, Aerosmith Live albums uh, from the mid-80s that they released. Okay. He, he, he sounds great, and there's clips of him. You know, Jimmy Crispo, Crespo, or Cri- Crispo, however you pronounce Crispo, he tears it up, man. He tears it up, and he's kind of doing... He does Joe Perry and Brad Whitford. He's, like, doing both their parts. Like, listen to the song Jailbait on Rockin' a Hard Place. Mm-hmm. And I think every, even people don't like that album like that song. You know, it's an awesome honestly, song. Honestly, too, and I know, like, uh, our friends the Rock and Mel Combat podcast have talked about uh, Brad Whitford, man, very underrated. Everyone talks about Joe Perry, man, but you know Joe Perry can't hold a candle to Brad Whitford. Brad Whitford's really the guitar hero, but sadly, he was not born as good looking as Joe Perry, and that's kind of why people forget about him. And he, I, I was looking yeah. back too. If you really look at a while, like you know, like online, 
Brad Whitford really did a lot more of the lead guitar work than you would think. Uh, you know, Joe Perry's just, you know, he's the pretty boy. He's the guy that they're going to put on the album cover and advertise. You know, because, you know, Brad Whitford looks like, you know, Larry from the, or Kirk Larry from the Three Stooges. He's not a very good looking guy, but hell of a guitar player. And he plays a lot more lead guitar than most people think. Yeah. I, I agree with that Are to a degree. Oh, Whitford St. Holmes is phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a lot of great stuff. And listen, I do agree that Brad Whitford's on song, and yeah, if he was hunky like Joe Perry, he would be <laughs> put out there more front and center. That being said, listen, they're both great guitarists. They're, to me, they're, they're very different. They actually have different styles. And Joe Perry's very, he's the bluesier one. He's bluesier, and he's a little funkier. Like, he does the funky stuff and the blues stuff. And Brad Whitford's a little more the hard rock guy. He's a little more metal. He's a little more hard rock. And, like, you know, he does the great solos on um, Lord of the Thighs. You know, it was, it was a great Brad Whitford. Nobody's Fault as well. Nobody's Fault, which he co-wrote that song, Round and Round. He always did the heavier stuff. Mm-hmm. And even, like, later on, like, on Pump, like, Voodoo Medicine Man. Like, that's a great Brad Whitford song. Yeah. And, you know, Joe Perry, he does the funkier stuff. But I will say this. Brad Whitford did do um, Last Child, and that's a little surprising because that's one that sounds like it'd be Joe Perry because that's a little that's more the kind of Joe Perry style, but that's, that's Brad that's Whitford. That's a, that's a we ain't no good when boss men stuffing it down. They're good for the baby. well said he's like the beat. Woo! Goddamn, we get a League Dirtsman uh, original oh, and a cover. Hell yeah. That's awesome. But, you know, also, Joe Perry was a great slide guitarist that's something he did he did do good slide stuff and i do think i don't think he's just a pretty boy i think joe perry is a great guitarist i think he's a different kind of guitarist than brad makes great hot sauce i think i think that's the thing that made aerosmith so strong is they had two really strong guitarists that played off of each other and complemented each other and to me that's the thing and just again to bring it back to who's even more underrated than brad whitford is jimmy crispo because this guy did both those styles at the same time, like Joe Bay has Whitford and Perry esque guitar lines throughout, and it's all him, one dude. And that's like most people can't sound like one of these guys, let alone two of these guys. So, uh, so that's where I stand there. Uh, but also the rhythm section, Tom Hamilton, Joey Kramer, so underrated, especially Joey Kramer, such a great drummer, and Tom Hamilton, you know, such a great bassist, and you know, Steven Tyler, amazing. I think an underrated lyricist in the seventies. He was a great lyricist. Very good. And you know, good, I, until you start working with Desmond Child, who who Lee knows from Bon Jovi fame. Hey! <laughs> it's just like you know, it's like dudes, you guys wrote like Dream On and Walk This Way, like you wrote hits, like yeah. Oh, you just, don't need help. You don't need help. You know, uh, it's just you know, as it is, like Pump, the two biggest songs from it, they wrote. So I was just like, so. So what's the problem here? Why aren't you writing all of them? They wrote Love in the Elevator and Janie's Got a Gun. So it's just like, so you guys can still write hits, just write the whole fucking album. Exactly. <laughs> you know? well, why don't we get... let Lee Gershman go into the first track on this album, No Surprise. Lee, what did you think of No Surprise? Yeah, well, I thought this is a good time rocking song, and the lyrics are about their up-and-coming days, from what I can tell. It's better than a lot of songs like that because the guitar riff really makes this great to hear. It's the kind of cool, intense rock I like to hear. Nice, nice. What do you think of it, Eric? Okay, well, I know and when you kind of kind of spoiled it a little bit. You're saying you like it. Lee likes it. So this is where I'm going to be. This is one of the few times I'm going to be an asshole on this episode. Not a fan of this song. 
Not a fan. Maybe it's because I don't think it's a good opening track. I think maybe if it was like the second or third track, maybe I'd like it a little bit more, but I just feel like it's not a great opening track. Uh, I do like Steven Tyler's uh, lyrics in it. I think they're really good lyrics. I think this is the first song where he finally broke that creative slump he was in where he had the writer's block. I think this is the first one where he finally got some lyrics made and was just, you know, proud of himself, and that's where he got going with all the rest of them. But lyrically, it's a great fucking song, but it just doesn't really do much for me, especially as an opening track. Like, maybe if you flip-flop this song with the second track, I think it would be a little bit better. I just don't see this being a great opening track, you know? Oh, I do. Yeah, okay. I'm, with, I'm with Lee. Hey, Eric, this, yeah. is the, this, this is the moment I realize, sadly, that I will never get you into the Rolling Stones. Because <laughs> 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 this is a very Stonesy song. So that's probably why I don't like it that like, much. It, it kind of makes sense that you don't like it, because it's very Stonesy. Um, Eric, have you ever heard the stuff of Brian Jones? Yeah, I, I like... Yeah. There's, there's That's like the good three stuff. songs I like by the Stones, and two of them are Brian Jones era songs. Cool. Yeah. So, so you like at least of the one percent that you like, at least ninety percent of the one percent is, is Brian Jones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it, this, it's very Stonesy, very bluesy, but has that Aerosmith swagger. I love this song. It's awesome, and I think it's a great opener because it has um, you know it. It you know it hits that co- that that chord. I love when you just hear a chord like you know like bang, 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 and then it hits the riff. That riff, it's one of Joe Perry's best riffs in my opinion. It's a classic riff. I love that riff, and that's what I'm saying. Like depending on what you're saying, like yeah, I think Brad Whitford's probably a stronger soloist, but Joe Perry could knock out some great riffs. And no surprise is one of his best riffs, in my opinion. And I do think it's probably my favorite lyrics from Steven Tyler. The lyrics are great. The storytelling, the jive, it's very jivey. And I just love that vibe. And you know what I really like about this song, too? It's 1979, and it's really out of step with the times. You know, it's not <laughs> it's not punk. It's not really metal. It's not like the new wave of British heavy metal. It's just a good, sleazy kind of early 70s sounding rock song and that's probably why i like it too because i'm out yeah. of time yeah and, uh, and i feel like like it's the thing i like about it too it's like aerosmith is so coked up that they don't give a fuck that's 1979 they're just doing the shit they like to do <laughs> <you know? laughs> and and i love it it's great it's grimy it's like it's kind of stuff like the rolling stones were doing in the early 70s like you know exile main street you know that kind of period uh-huh. and it's, it's the kind of stuff i love so yeah big thumbs up for me i'd say it's my third favorite song on the album and i think it's a great opener but you know i can tell that you're one year older than eric right on (laughs) (laughs) uh i'm more than a couple decades old i'm in between i'm in between you guys i'm in my 40s but so anyway yeah so anyway i like to think so the second song lee what do you think of chiquita this is a great song to follow the first i didn't follow the words as much but the groove is great here. In the beginning part with the horns, it almost sounds like Steven Tyler's voice altered to sound like fuzzy vocals. Maybe it is, but it's still cool. This album is two for two so far. Cool. What do you think of the song, Eric? Oh, man, Chiquita. Like I said, this is the first song I ever heard from this album, and it was me and my friend Nick Mills hanging out at his place uh, after school one day. 
and we uh, he pulled this up on YouTube. Never heard the song before. Like I said, I'm like, that's not Joe Perry. And I'm watching the video, though, and I didn't like this song at first. I heard it, and I'm like, eh, it was okay. But then I think he played it again the next day we hung out, and I was like, okay, you know, actually, this, this is actually a pretty decent song. By the third time I heard it, I'm like, this song is fucking amazing. So it was one of those songs that took, like, a couple listens to really get into it. But I love this tune. I guess... From what I heard, there's like a story or like rumor I heard that this song, like Steven Tyler just saw the the chick on the Chiquita Bananas sticker or logo or whatever, and he just, he was like, I'm going to write a song about that chick on the bananas, so. Yeah, hey. he used to put that on his uh, hand on some photos. Sometimes. Yeah, that's what it was. But uh, hey, fucking props to the Chiquita Banana Lay for inspiring such a great fucking song. Uh, this song rules. It's probably my second favorite song off the album because there's another one that I love just a little bit more. Oh, it's an awesome song. I love it. I'd say um, it's my fourth favorite. It's like neck and neck with no surprise to me. Even though I can get why you like it better, though. It's more hard rocking. And it could work as an opening because yeah. it has a, it has a build up. But I like it where it is because I like a second song to be a little heavier than the first song and and a little punchier than the first song. And I feel like No Surprise gets you into the groove. You're on the corner. You're in this. You're on the street with Aerosmith. Like you're on the corner with them. And then and then they kick you in the balls with Chiquita in a good way. Like you're happy that they're kicking you in the balls. Yeah. And it's also it's amazing because it's like it's one of those songs. This is something you would sometimes hear in like Black Sabbath songs where it's like. The opening riff is really cool, and you think that's the riff, and then it goes into what's really the riff. It's the second part, and it's like even better. And you're like, God damn that riff! And again, just to give credit where credits due, that's a Joe Perry riff. Well, uh, you're thing. gonna keep letting me hear what that Joe Perry thing. And by the way, Ed, when there are some weird dudes out there that do like to get kicked in the balls, like it's I actually know. a thing. I, I actually went down a rabbit hole once when I was like, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, a young, horny teenager and found some shit that I probably shouldn't have seen. Oh! I thought, I thought you were going to say when you were uh, dancing, pe- people paid you, uh, strange men paid you to kick them in the balls. Oh, God, <laughs> no. I, I dance ma- I dance only for women. <laughs> I never uh, got that desperate for money. <laughs> hey, you know, it's, it's a living. I don't judge. Yeah, it, it's a living. I ain't judging anyone that does it. It's just not my thing, but yeah, there's some dudes that enjoy getting kicked in the nads. It's I, I'll never oh. understand it, man. It's a thing. It's a thing, Lee. Yeah. It's predominantly very popular in Asia, from what I've seen. That makes like sense. Like, Asian countries. They're into that. They're into the yeah, kinky stuff. Yeah, they, uh So, anyway, so, Chiquita. Great. Uh, I love it. Sometimes I think the horns don't need to be there, but... Oh, they, I love the horns. But they don't bother me. They're funky. They're kind of... That's actually the stonesiest thing about the song, is the horns. But they're not, like, too overpowering. I, I'm not I a big it. fan of horns, but Aerosmith can usually pull it off. Like, I don't mind it. They use it, like, the, just the right amount of horns, yeah, where 70s. it doesn't bother me. It works. I love it. I love the, the sound of the guitars. The guitars just sound so badass, and that rhythm section. I love when they bring that intro back, you know, for the breakdown. Yep. And it just... and. Tyler's vocals, I'm like, yeah, man, he might have had a writer's block, but once Joe Perry left, he suddenly got really, that must have lit a fire under his ass, because like, yeah. he suddenly really brought it, both lyrically and vocally, and, you know, and I think already, like, I love, I do love Draw the Line, but I think that this album shows, I think it has better songs, for the most part, and it shows that they're maybe not quite on a rocks level, but they're definitely stepping back more in that direction. I actually agree with you. Okay, cool, cool. So you do you think it's a little bit better than Draw the Line? Yes, I actually do. Yeah. 
It, it sounds like they're just trying a little bit harder uh, with the songs. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so it's a great one-two punch. Awesome one-two punch. Uh, this was great because, you know, when I first listened to Night on the Ruts, I had already heard No Surprise, which was on Gems. So this was the first, like, song I hadn't heard. So I, I, I still remember when I first heard it. It was just like, this is ba- I instantly liked it. I uh, I instantly liked it, and I just like by but by this point I had already listened to their first uh, five albums, so I was yeah. already hip to the fact that they had all these great deep tracks, and they were my favorite band at that point. You know, until ACDC came a couple months later, <laughs> and man, yeah, fucking Chiquita, awesome song, and goddamn it, they should play this kind of shit live, Aerosmith. Come on, yeah, for real. Bring- I'm right here listening, fucking loving it all there. But you know the problem is. People are going to hear these songs, and they're going to go take a piss. But yeah, then the moment they play Love in Elevator or Crazy, the fans are just going, ah, you know, no they're going to go ape shit. Aerosmith's like that. They they're playing for... Cards, blocking the doors, <laughs> yeah. so when people go to take the piss, the bar guns say, no piss yet for you. They're <laughs> called the <laughs> men. Yeah, I feel like Aerosmith's like Def Leppard where these days, where they're pretty much catering to middle-aged, drunk white women. Yeah. <laughs> The, and the, and the denim army, grandmas. yeah, the old denim army could go fuck itself, you know. Even though the denim army is what made them what they were in the yeah. 70s. you know, uh, I had a chance to see them in uh, twenty, I believe it was twenty ten, like fall. I forget what the fuck happened. But me and my friend Nick were supposed to go because me and him had seen uh, Kiss earlier, and man, what a letdown of a show that was. Kiss in twenty ten, holy shit! Mm. My friend went from being like a, a guy starting to get into Kiss to absolutely hating Kiss, and I don't fucking blame him. So that was horrible that performance. But uh, we were supposed to see Aerosmith too that year, and I forget what happened. Like he saw them, but for whatever reason, I couldn't go. I think I got in trouble. I think I got grounded or some shit. You know, it just for the record, even though Aerosmith doesn't play as many old 70s stuff, you know, their 70s stuff as much as they should, they still do play some stuff, and they'll occasionally throw a curveball. Like, I remember during that period, they were doing, like, No More, No More, Seasons of Weather. Yeah, so they would throw in some cool shit, and Steven Tyler still sounds Oh, amazing. he still can sing, man. Yeah, but but I mean, unfortunately, you have to hear, like, you know, the Armageddon song, too. Like, that's the oh, thing. God. <laughs> I used to uh, really like that song, but now I just fucking hate it. Uh, not not a fan. Uh, so, Lee, what do you think of the first of three covers? Yes, there are three covers yeah. on the yeah. album. And I you think, definitely tell they're still suffering from some writer's block. Yeah, well, I think that's also because Joe Perry left yes. halfway mm-hmm. through. So, that yeah, so they're kind of filling it up with covers. And only one of the covers does Joe Perry play on. So I think they. So I do think this song and the Yardbirds cover later on were two things that that Stephen and Brad Whitford whipped up real quick to fill the you know the 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 vacuum of Joe Perry leaving. But anyway, obviously this was the the one. Yeah, this was like the radio single from the album, and this was probably the. If there is a song that's known on this album, it'd probably be this. Uh, it's Especially nowadays. Well, yeah, because of TikTok. Oh, fuck TikTok. Jesus Christ. I get so pissed when I hear this on TikTok all the time. I keep hearing that. It's so annoying as it got with the Mickey Mouse sounding voice. Yeah. It just pisses me off. It's like, motherfucker, listen to the actual song. Putting this shit on TikTok. I hate TikTok, man. Well, I think I, I, I'm, it's actually the... it's that They speed up the vocals so you can't really tell because it's like, yeah. they sound like Minnie Mouse. I believe it is a sample... From the original Shangri-La's version used for a a hip-hop song that they're using. But yeah, yeah, Aerosmith should do this live and say, here, this is the song from TikTok. (laughs) Uh, God. But anyway, so uh, um, I'll 
I'll take off with this one first because there's just a few things and then we'll get to Lee and Eric. But uh, this is what I think about this song. Remember Walking in the Sand. I didn't like the song when I first heard it. You know, I was a teen. Ooh. I was like, you know, junior high. And I, I liked, he- you know, I went to hear rock and stuff. And this was like an old doo-wop song. And I didn't like the, the whispering, remember, you know, and the hand snapping kind of mm-hmm. doo-wop stuff. Even though I'm from Philly, you know, and this guy's <laughs> my father. My father's an Italian guy from Philly. He loved doo-wop. So even like he the guys in Rocky. Yeah, he, my father was like one of those guys, actually. He was in a doo-wop band. He did the facetto. Yeah. He would do uh, like he did that kind of <laughs> He did that. Yeah. So my father loved this kind of shit. So and I I knew the original song. Maybe I don't know. I knew it a little bit. Yeah, I think I knew it because it was in Go- uh, Goodfellas. They used it in a scene in Goodfellas. They play the original. So anyway, so I knew it, and I just like at that time I didn't appreciate that kind of music. A couple years later, though, I grew to love doo-wop and rock and roll, early rock and roll and stuff, and. I grew to really love this cover. I think, you know, in a lot of ways, this album's a little like Diver Down because there's a lot of covers on it. But also like Diver Down, Aerosmith did what Van Halen did. They really make these covers their own. You know, exactly. They, they give them a rock edge, a personality. Aerosmith's Remember Walking in the Sand is Aerosmith's Remember Walking in the Sand. Like, it's a, it's an Aerosmith song. And... And Whitford, you know, all on his own, is doing all the guitar lines. It's great, and it's it's dark. That's the thing I really yeah. appreciated that they bring a darkness to this. <sighs> and Steven Tyler's vocals are amazing, and I love it all. It's creepy, it's dark, it's sexy. I I think it's one of the great covers now. Actually, I think it's one of the best covers ever. I love this song. It's not even probably a top five song for me on this album, but Ooh. I. Love it. Well, remember, this is my second favorite Aerosmith album. So, <laughs> so uh, but I, I love it, and it's a great song to play for a lady, you know? Oh, so yeah. It's a sexy oh. song, and it's intense, and it's got bite, and oh, I fucking love it. It's great. My punk-ass junior high uh, version didn't appreciate it, but this middle-aged version of Edwin loves it. What do you think of uh, this cover, Lee Gerstmann? Yeah, well, it's a good cover, and it's as good as the Shangri-La's original Maybe I like Aerosmith's version a little bit better because of the guitar work, but I don't think it totally fits as the third song here. I would have preferred hearing another original. I do like it as a song, but I always thought it was misplaced here. It sounds like grandiose filler, for lack of a better term. Yeah, it's interesting. And then they made it the single. Like, you know, they could have flipped it and made, like, Cheesecake the third song and this the fourth song. Closing they did make out a the video side. for it. That would have that, that worked. Yeah, I think that would have worked. I, I will say that that might have worked a little bit better. But I, do, I still do love it. And, yeah, it's weird that they didn't make a video for this since this was the single. Um, it's interesting how that sometimes worked, though, back then. I noticed that, that in that late 70s, early 80s period, there was something really random about the promotional videos sometimes you know acdc too like sometimes they'd release like it's not the song that goes to the radio but they make a video for it it was interesting and, and so what do you think of remember in parentheses walking in the sand Eric? remember walking the sand well uh, you know I, I remember a time before fucking tiktok uh <laughs> kind of you know made the song a joke and uh fuck tiktok but oh my god remember walking the sand 
my favorite song off this album. Holy Whoa! shit. I would never have guessed that. Oh my, I, dude, it used to be Chiquita, but I just cannot deny how just amazing this song is. And you hit upon it, Edwin, with uh, the guitar work, just... And that's definitely, you know, that's some Brad Whitford guitar work right there. It's, you know, more, it, it has a lot of feeling, a lot of melody in it, but a lot of darkness. Uh, you know, it's not as bluesy like a Joe Perry kind of solo. Uh, that's, that's all Brad Whitford. This yeah. song is just phenomenal. And it's like they took a great, you know, 50 song and they made it their own. And I kind of like it when, you know, some of these, you know, rock bands from the 70s were doing these, like, 50s covers or, like, you know, 50-ish sounding songs. Like, Kiss would do the same thing with Christine 16, which I love, which is, it's a kind of 50s, like, uh, soda shop kind of sounding song. And, but this one actually is a cover of one of those kind of songs. And, man, they just, they take it and they make it their own. It's kind of dark. Uh, it's got, like, so, you know, it's got that darkness with it, but it's also kind of sexy and romantic. It's just something about it just hits me in all kinds of different ways. And Steven Tyler just screams his ass off on this one. Uh, one of my favorite memories of this song was, you know, again, I'm going to probably bring his name up a lot because me and him were real big Aerosmith fans. My good friend Nick Mills, me and him had a, a band together in high school. He was the bass player, and I just remember one day, like, you know, me and him crashed out at his house. It was the weekend, and he wakes me up one day, you know, and he's like, dude, listen to this. You know, and I go up to his room, and he puts this album on, and he puts the song on, plugs his bass in, and remember walking, the sand comes on, and he just starts playing with it, and he just nails it. He's like, dude, and afterwards, he's like, I finally learned it. I finally learned how to play that on bass. And it just blew me away because he hit it note for note. And just something about that memory, I think, makes me like the song even more because it reminds me of just being in high school, you know, hanging out with my friends on the weekends, playing music, having fun, you know, and just us, you know, like us learning music together, you know. My friend's an amazing musician now. He's He does producing. He's got his own music studio. Uh, he plays, you know, guitar, bass. He's trying to learn how to sing still, uh, but... He also does, like, you know, for extra work on the side, he does, like, uh, the mixing board for certain bands. Like, they'll hire him to do, like, their mixing, be their sound guy. And it's just, it's amazing knowing how far he came from being a guy just trying to learn songs on bass. And, man, you know, he's still my best friend of all time. I mean, fuck, we went to see Overkill in March for my birthday. But I love this fucking song. It always brings back those fun memories of me and him hanging out, listening to Aerosmith in that day. He finally learned to play this on bass. So, shout out to my friend Nick Mills. I'm going to definitely make him listen to this episode but yeah favorite song on the fucking album yeah i i can't even understand that but but <laughs> it, it, does, it doesn't compute that that's too weird and, and that, real quick, that, but but at least if it's you and not me that's fine yeah <laughs> and and one more thing too i think the you old know, it is a weird single as amazing of a song as it is this is an odd choice for the one and only single that they had for the album. It could have worked as a single, but maybe like a, maybe put one of the originals as a single first and then this one. And I think, too, that's another yeah. why people maybe hesitate with this album, because there's this stick. People like in the future, not people from the 70s that grew up with this album, but people in the future like me and Edwin, you know, when people look back on this album, there's that stigma that, oh, they broke up, you know, during this album, it didn't do so well. And then when you look... This is like the song that, you know, this is the song that represents that album because it's the only single, and it's on that famous red-covered uh, Grace Hits album that, like, everyone had. 
And so a lot of people probably think, oh, they did a cover for the only single on that album, and, you know, I hear all these bad things. It's probably no good. And that's probably another reason why there's that stigma surrounding this album, why future generations didn't really give this album a chance, even though it's fucking amazing. Yeah, I, I agree. Actually, the, I, I, I don't think there was really any... Ver- there, no matter what song they released from this album... It was not going to do what the other albums did. It just, it just, it's not that. Like I said, the album's kind of out of time uh, for 1979, and especially with uh, Joe Perry, the, the stigma of Joe Perry leaving the band. It's just, it, it. I just don't. I think it was just, you know, changing times. You know, I just think that people weren't going to be as into Aerosmith anymore doing this kind of music. You know, unless they had something. And even though I personally, because I, you know. I'm a diehard, so I love all these songs. But I can tell you, there's nothing like a like a back in the saddle or sweet emotion. There's nothing as instantly crossoverable as one of those kind of songs. And that's what it would have take. It would have they needed something that you know accessible and strong of a statement. And they didn't quite have that. And they and they didn't really have that on the last album either. Draw the line. So that's the thing. So they just. They, they needed to, I feel like, it, uh, you know, they didn't have a dream on, they didn't have a single song and dance, they didn't have, a, you know, Last Child, Back in the Saddle, Sweet Emotion, Walk This Way. They didn't have songs quite that commercial. They're actually, Draw the Line and this album are a little more subtle and a little deeper in a lot of ways, you know, and they're just kind of yeah. groove records. So you kind of have to be an Aerosmith fan to really get into them. I, I just guess at think- the time, too, 1979, Eddie, you know, Van Halen's already two albums deep. And, yeah. you know, that style of rock and roll was kind of losing favor with the young crowd. You know, yeah. everyone's wanting the new Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, and even, like, if you look at, like, the Stones, the Stones moved on at this point. Like, with uh, with uh, some girls. Like, they were yeah. incorporating punk and disco. So even an older band like the Stones were a little more modern at that time. But, you know, that's the thing that makes this album timeless. Because Aerosmith didn't chase trends. They didn't have that disco song, you know? Uh, but yet they weren't as heavy and new as, say, ACDC or Judas Priest, you know? So I feel like it's just no matter what. I mean, yeah, I mean, there is a song later I think might have been a little bit better because it has a kind of a late 70s funkiness to it that might have helped. But I don't think any of the versions. I get what they were probably thinking with this is because it's a cover of an old, you know, doo-wop song. That, and there was a little bit of that why Kiss got into it. There was a little bit of Happy Days, a little bit of nostalgia going on and... Maybe they just thought, hey, we'll try that. Maybe we'll get in some some people that normally don't listen to us. But obviously, it didn't really work because I mean, I think I don't. I think this album still went gold. Um, but you know, it didn't do what the other albums did. Anyway, so uh, Lee, you still there? Yeah. Awesome. So let's get into the last song on side one, Cheesecake. Yeah. Well, it's a really cool song and a good way to close side one. The slow part reminds me of the slow part of Golden Earring's song, Candy's Going Bad. I like the faster part of the song more than the slower part, but I do like the whole song a lot. Cool. Do you like cheesecake itself, like the food? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, okay. Do you like cheesecake, or do you like, like chocolate, like marble kind of cheesecake or fancy cheesecake you ever I been to like a little of both I, I would say that probably if i had a choice i i, I do kind of like chocolate cheesecake or um i haven't had it yet i should invent it i should invent caramel 
cake. That would probably be good. It's good when they put Oreos in it. That's good. Oh, oh, so, yeah. oh son of a bitch. I haven't had it yet, but that's my favorite. Yeah, and I, I like a New York style cheesecake. I don't know, but Eric might like Chicago deep deep dish uh, cheesecake. <laughs> I like cannoli cannoli style so, cheesecake. Um, Westside Market that's open twenty four hours a day, and it's only about a minute walk away from me if I walk really quickly and get a New York cheesecake anytime. Uh, I love it. I say I love a dry New York cheesecake. I like it. it's dry as the production of Ball Breaker. That's how I like Ooh. my cheesecake. <laughs> anyway. That's pretty dry. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, cheesecake. I love both. I like cheesecake, the food, and I love the song. It's awesome. It's um, maybe, I don't know, my fifth or sixth favorite song. I don't know. But it's great. It's. I'm sorry. I like. I got to be sick of Joe Perry again. Great slide work from Joe Perry. It's not, it's not quite like in my time of dying, but you know what? It's the next best thing. It's really good slide work. Very sexy. It's got a groove to it. Badass again, really out of step for 1979. But fuck it, that's what I love about it. It's deep mid 70s, smoky, sexy blues rock. I love when it kicks into that. That chorus is kind of surprising. You know, it's like the kind chorus of, is a little off. Yeah, it it's takes a little a while to get used to. But I do like it. But I remember the first time I heard it, I, I remember being a little taken aback by the chorus because it's just it's kind of a it's a little more upbeat and a little more power pop rock kind of sound. It's just you know cheesecake. <laughs> it's not quite what I was expecting, but I like it. I dig it now. Like I think it's cool. And oh, in, in fact, um, no surprise. And Chiquita and Cheesecake are my third, fourth, and fifth songs. Not necessarily in that order, but yeah. third and fourth and fifth songs. They get you know in the Pandora's uh, box set, which is an amazing box set that had uh, all their seventies and early eighties stuff, plus a lot of rare stuff and alternative tracks and shit. I had that back in the day. They they represent it. I know Joe Perry is actually even though he left during this album, he's he's a big fan of it. He loves Night in the Rocks. He thinks it's a he's really proud of his work and he kind of laments that he didn't finish it because he thinks it could have gave Rocks a run for the money if he did. That's what he said in interviews. And he's a big fan, so uh, it doesn't surprise me that it's pretty well represented actually on P- Pandora's box. They have like a more than half of the songs on it. And I think they had a no. They did have Chiquita, which was a little surprising. But they had a. Hey Pandora. Yeah. Hey they, Pandora. Yeah, they had to put that song on it. Uh, they and yeah, so it's pretty well represented. And so, what do you what do you think of cheesecake, Eric Jordan? First the food, and then <laughs> and then the song. Uh, I love me a good uh, piece of cheesecake, man. It's some good shit. Um, I like like a cannoli style cheesecake. Um, I've had it oh. where it's made with like ricotta yeah, instead the ricotta. of the yeah, cream cheese. Yeah, that's uh, that's some good too. stuff. And my mom made some good cheesecake, and uh, it tastes a lot better because it's made in Chicago and not in fucking New York. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> gotta talk my shit about New York, man. Um, but yeah, I love cheesecake, man, and I love the fucking song. Sexy as fuck. Oh my god, this this song. It, like this song makes me hard. It's just so fucking sexy that slide guitar. And you know, I, I was talking bad about Joe Perry, but man, you're you know you're right though. He can do a mean slide guitar. This ain't like that Mick Mars bullshit. This is like real <laughs> slide guitar. God damn, I love this song. Just you know the way the the guitar, the rhythm section, Steven Tyler's lyrics, his vocals. You know, Daddy, do it. Oh God. 
I, I've danced to plenty of bitches with this song, man, and I've had, I've gotten laid to this song multiple times. It's fucking amazing. Now, I used to hate that chorus, like, you know, like you were talking about, it's a little, it, it, it's a little off. It doesn't, it, it's very different because it's really more upbeat power pop in a real sexy bluesy song. But yeah. the more I've listened to it, much like, you know, Chiquita, the more I got used to it and the more I actually like it. I like the different shades. The chorus kind of goes in a different direction, but then it goes back to that bluesy song. And it speeds up at the end, too. Fucking amazing song. You know, probably like my, you know, third favorite on the fucking album. Holy shit. You know, what a, what, what a first half to the to an amazing album. Uh, so awesome. while, we, while we flip this bitch over... Uh, for those of you know, that, for all you millennials that don't know what records are, we're gonna flip this over <laughs> the side too and toss it over to Lee Gershman with three three miles smile. Yeah. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. The words are both political and a bit psychedelic. I enjoy the musicianship and the groove on it. It's one of the best melodies on the album, and I think it's boss. Nice. There's one song I like better. You don't know it yet. <laughs> Ooh, okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll take it next. Um, this is my favorite song on the album. I yeah, I know it might be a dark horse. Uh, I love Three Mile Smile, and it's it's a top five Aerosmith song for me. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I well, you know, I like funky stuff, and this is both funky and really hard rocking in spots, and it's just that riff. Again, I don't want to sound like a total Joe Perry nut swinger, but he's on. He's on. <laughs> he's on this swinging album. from his nuts, man. He, How much did he pay you? Hey, I have to say, he went out with a bang here. You know, if Joe Perry <laughs> ever returned back to Aerosmith and they ended up doing, you know, Pink, you know, <laughs> if they never did that, if they end it here, you'd think Joe Perry would be the super stud of the century. But anyway, they need to call that song Brown instead of Pink because it's oh, pure God. shit. Horrible. Uh, Wash my. Uh, Stop, 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 stop. Anyway, Three Mile Smile. Somehow the band that years later we record Pink did Three Mile Smile. As crazy as that sounds. Oh, anyway, Three man. Mile Smile. It's, it's kind of, it takes a little of that funkiness that he had, uh, like, that, uh, like, Sight for Sore Eyes, another song I fucking love. And, but makes it a little darker. This album, all, overall, I do think is the darkest sounding Aerosmith album. You know, it was the cocaine. They're, they're, it's just kind of dark and moody sounding. Fits the, the name, the title of the album, which, by the way, was called "Right in the Nuts," but they, the record label wouldn't let them, so they had That's to. That's what they put on the concert T-shirt, though. Yeah, which would have worked. That's an awesome title, but you know what? In a weird way, Nightmare Rust kind of captures the moody, dark vibe of the album. Yeah, right even the cover too. It's yeah. like all black and white. They look like you know old coal miners and whatnot. Yeah. It's a yeah. little off-putting of a of a cover because usually they had kind of more bright, colorful like album covers. Yeah. Like even the. Draw the Line, which is a black and white album cover, was still cool as it had, like, the cartoon picture, so it was yeah. a little fun still, whereas this one was very dark. Yeah, so in this song, I think the lyrics, they rival, no surprise, for some of Stephen Tyler's best lyrics on the album. As uh, Lee uh, alluded to, they're somewhat political. It's a reference, a lot of younger people, and I don't even know if you know about this, Eric, uh, might not know that this is actually a reference to Three Mile Island. Uh-huh. Which was a nuclear uh, meltdown. It was a semi-nuclear meltdown in Pennsylvania oh. at a nuclear power plant, yeah. which was a big n- news story. And I remember as a little kid in the early 80s, you would hear jokes about it a lot. And SNL did like a joke about Three Mile Island and that, you know, people, you know. So so I, it, it's also kind of about the absurdity of our times. And it has yeah. that kind of stream of consciousness 
trippy jive. Like Steven Tyler's like he's out in the corner, kind of like a psychedelic pimp. <laughs> you know, that's the vibe. <laughs> he's a psychedelic pimp. And the song is that in that riff. Oh man, that Joe Perry is just so down and dirty. But of course, you know, the way Joe, you know Joe and Brad's guitars, the groove, the, that Joey Kramer's drum beat on this. He's fucking in the pocket. Everything's working. Uh, and then the way it kicks in, then it gets really heavy. It's actually, it actually has, a, I would say, probably the second heaviest moments on the album, or this song, it, when it gets heavy, and especially at the end, when it starts raging out and getting like faster and heavier and faster and heavier, a little like Cheesecake, Cheesecake did as well. But this gets even heavier. And I got to gush over the best guitar solo, in my opinion, on this album, and it is actually by Jimmy Crespo. Now... Wow. They had already recorded all the rhythm parts. You know, Joe and Brad recorded all the rhythm parts. But this is the first thing that Jimmy Crespo ever did on an Aerosmith album. It's the only uh, line that he plays on is he did the guitar solo. And if you listen to that fucking guitar solo, it fucking, he tears it up. This actually, for a couple years, was a concert staple. This was like the one representation from this album that they would play. Even uh, when Joe Perry uh, joined the group back uh, with, um, with the Back in the Saddle tour in the mid-80s, they were still playing this song live. And one of the reasons is, I think, because that guitar solo was a great um, set, you know, it was a great showcase. And, man, I just, Jimmy Crespo was just unsung guitarist. It's too bad that after Joe and Brad got back in the band that he didn't go off and do something cool. Because this guy had the skills. Like, he was a really great guitarist. And I love that guitar solo. I love this fucking song. It's a fucking rock and roll masterpiece. So I'm very curious what Eric thinks about it, because I have no idea. I can't say. I can't oh, figure man. out. I, I think I mentioned it when, uh, when right before we did the sound. There are two songs I don't like off the sound. This is not one of them. Okay, that's, that's <laughs> good. <laughs> I wanted to, wanted to make you sweat there a little bit. Uh, this is a great song. Uh, I don't think it's as great as like maybe you or Alan like it as much as me, like you or Lee. Because um, obviously, yeah, when you said this, like, you know, in your top five Aerosmith songs, and Lee really seemed to like it. I like this song, but it's definitely an album track for me. This is like a, kill, like a little bit above Killer Filler. Uh, it's a great album track. I like it. There's other songs I like better, and it's not really a standalone song. I wouldn't really show this to someone if I wanted to introduce them to Aerosmith. But I think it's a solid song. This is a great song that fits perfectly in this album. Great way to cook off side, too. And it's, uh, to me... This is like the best fucking... This is like Led Zeppelin if they had a good singer. Sorry to say it. You know, all the Zeppelin fans... All, all the Zeppelin fans out there, you can hate me all you want. I do not like Robert Plant's voice. And this sounds like a Zeppelin song, but it sounds like Zeppelin with a fucking good singer. I'm sorry. My my opinion, I think Robert Plant is just... He, he, he just has the look of a front man. He has the look... But I don't think he has any of the fucking skills. Like even like when I watched Song Remains the Same, he was kind of a boring front man. You are fucking smoking I, crack. All kinds uh, of crack. <laughs> there would not even be Rob Halford. There would not be any heavy metal singers without Robert Plant. I, I, He's one of the I most just can't get into his singers. voice, man. I that voice is like nails on a chalkboard. It's like if you don't want to review that pictures of no no that that principle of moments out many times soon. <laughs> This guy's a, uh, the guy in the 70s uh, with the jeans and the armadillo in his pants with golden locks. That's the thing. He's, he had the look. He he's had the look, but he had none of the talent. Oh, he totally had the stage presence. He's a fucking god on that stage. Uh, and then, just, uh, do you remember laughter? He captures dude, the crowd. Magic. If he looked like Ian Gillen, if he looked like Ian Gillen, 
he would not be talked about as much. He was a pretty boy with an armadillo oh, in his hey, pants hey. surrounded by an amazing band. Stop hating Wait, on good-looking Pavlov hey, dog and the, and, and, and the singer David Sirkamp. Good. I, I'm interested in your opinion on <laughs> Wait, Eric, attractive people are human beings too, Eric. Don't discriminate. Hey, I don't hate on attractive people. I just think he's not a good singer. I'm saying he's a, he's, he's a good-looking, no homo. He has the look for the front man, but he has no voice. I get it. Listen, I get you saying his voice annoys you, you don't like it. You're not the first person I've ever heard to say that. It's He's definitely a kind of draw-the-line-in-the-sand kind of vocalist. I get that. But you can't say he's a bad singer. That man hits amazing notes. Yeah, he, he had an amazing range, at least in the seventies. Not so hey, much later on. In the Nance, like in one of those weird pornos <laughs> from Asia, I would be hitting some high notes too, no, man. I mean, you gotta listen like uh, you know, uh, uh, since I've been loving you. And oh, I, I hate that song. Oh, but you know, I mean, Dude, like, <laughs> I, wa- I remember watching the song. I remember watching Song Remains the Same, and they open Since You've Been Loving You with that killer, like, guitar work by Jay Page. He's just wailing on the guitar, like, I'm like, ooh, this is going to be a great song. And he goes, dun, 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 and it's like fucking ten minutes of boredom. And it's like, god damn, this song sucks. And also, like, you know, he did stuff like Cashmere. Like, there's just such an eroticism. But that's in a great song, this, but not because I don't think that's a great song, and I don't like Since I've Been Loving You either. Oh, All right, Lee. You got, oh, God, you guys, just go and smoke your crack together. It's good yeah. shit. Hey, good Lee, shit. you want to go meet that. me outside by the homeless shelter and uh, get a pipe? <laughs> oh, boy. I'll offer you a copy of Principle of Moments by Robert Flack. Hey, me and Lee are going to hang out smoking crack and handing out his mixtape to kids trick-or-treating. Oh. You might... You, you should get you like the Death Wish Two soundtrack. It's uh, Led Zeppelin without Rob, Robert Plant. Oh, I love Death. I love Death Wish Three. That's my favorite because I know Jimmy Page did the score for it's both ri- those movies. It's, it's pretty much the Death Wish Two score used. Yeah, for Death Wish I, I like Death Wish Three better because it's so over the fucking top. Oh, it's a great movie. It's a masterpiece. Amazing movie. I, I mean, the first three you can't lose with the first three, but uh, they get increasingly absurd. The third one's one of the most absurd movies ever. Yeah. Okay, we're going to have to do a review of De- Death Wish 3 at some point. That'll be our movie edition. We'll do like a, a rock all over you at the movies. Yeah, just do all the Death Wish movies. Uh, yeah. There's just five of them. We could do that. Okay, so that digression aside, which was very entertaining. Yeah. Um, now, it's funny because the song is <laughs> a one-two punch in a way because, uh, or a one-two punch in the sense when the punch is just a blues song <laughs> it's reefer it goes into reefer head woman which was i'm not so familiar with uh this artist i looked him up he's an old like a folky blues artist in jazz, jazz gillum gillum i listened to the song it was actually acoustic blues which is surprising uh so it's an old acoustic blues song it was cool it's a cool little acoustic blues song but obviously aerosmith again makes the song totally their own it is a standard blues song so you know, it depends on how much you like the blues. I know, Eric, you don't like the blues as much, and that's cool. Like, you know, yep. that's the thing. Like, Rapiero's not as into blues stuff. So, always, when these rock bands, especially from the 60s and 70s, when they do the, the quote-unquote blues song, obviously, if you don't like the blues, you're not going to like that song so much. <laughs> you know, so that's like, that's kind of an easy one. And, you know, it's not one of the most amazing blues songs ever. You know, and Aerosmith has done better blues songs, in my opinion. But... Yeah. It's solid. It's like a solid blues track. You know, after the three-mile smile. And 
And, and especially considering the next song, what's going to go into, you need a breather. You need a breather before these two songs. So I think it works. I like the sequencing on the second side. I think it's pretty good. And I dig it. It's just a nice stonesy, kind of bluesy, smoke pot kind of blues song. So what do you think of it, Lee? Yeah. First, I want to say, even though I'm not a great fan of the blues, I think John Lee Booker and Jimmy Reed, I can listen to them anytime. Yeah, and, I love John Lee Hooker. He's one of my favorite artists. He's awesome. Yeah, um, I saw him live, and he was awesome. Wow, that's cool. I went to. Powerful. Anyway, this in no way sounds like the original by Jazz Gillum. Yeah. But they're both good. And if I had to decide which one was better, I'd say Aerosmith. I'm not usually a big fan of the blues, but they managed to do a kick-ass song. Could they have played it a little faster? I think it could have been even better if they did. But overall, it's a good song. All right, cool. So, uh, Eric, I can only imagine what you think of this one. Uh, I know your taste. So what do you think of Reaper Headed Woman? Yeah, there's a... No, oh, there's a line in the song where he talks about, like, you know, I gotta drink, like, three-fifths of whiskey just to get twice as high. Well, goddamn, I need to drink three-fifths of whiskey to get through this fucking song. This song blows. <laughs> I hate it, man. It's like, after Three Miles Smile, which is a great fucking mid-tempo one, this one just kills me. It's like, Jesus, like, I, I pick the fucking needle up. I can't, I, this song does nothing for me. And I do like some blues kind of songs, but I'm just not a big blues fan. Uh, you know, especially when some honkies are trying to do the blues, you know. They, they don't know the blues. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Reaper Head Woman, I just do not fucking like the song. I, I fucking hate that harmonica. That harmonica annoys the I, shit out of me. I, I get it, and like, if you don't like blues. But this is a funny thing is, I'm normally not a big harmonica guy. I don't like harmonica. Like, I like some Dylan, but I hate when Dylan starts doing the harmonica. I just don't like it. It annoys me. Uh, yeah. Neil Young's oh. all right. His harmonica playing, it's a little more subtle. It I love The Wizard by Black Sabbath. I do like, like that. That's subtle. Oh. But uh, I gotta say, Steven Tyler, I actually like his harmonica playing. I oh, think I hate... I want to shove that harmonica I right like, up his ass. Oh, no, yeah, I dig his harmonica playing. It's Something about it doesn't annoy me. I think he's a good harmonica player. Um, but you probably get it. Listen, like, I'm not gonna defend... It's a, it's a standard blues song. It's, like, nothing special. But... To me, it, it works well between the two songs, but yeah, I get it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight you on it. <laughs> um, oh, I, yeah. knew, I knew we're gonna hate this song. <laughs> you you now, guessed right, my friend. Yeah, I, I now, can't stand this song. But now we're getting to my second favorite song on the album. Wait, wait, Reaper Head Woman? No, I already talked oh, about Reaper. Oh, oh, okay, God, I, oh, I was no, a little oh, concerned there. Oh. Reefer Head at Woman by, is my least favorite song on the album. Oh, okay. All right, good. I didn't, I didn't yeah. say that, but it is. <laughs> but I like it. That's the thing. That's It's an album I love. It's my second favorite Aerosmith album. So, uh, I, so I like this song, but it is my least favorite song on the album. But, you know, it's still a good song. You know, I wouldn't take it off, but it's my least favorite. You know, one of the songs has to be. But not this next song, Bone to Bone, in parentheses, Coney Island, Whitefish Boy. Now, I'll say this. Normally, it annoys me. When a song has like two titles, like they can't make up their fucking mind, like when. <laughs> but I get, I get why it was a tough choice because both these titles are badass. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. man, both really good titles. So, so they went fuck it, put one of them in the parentheses. <laughs> and Coney Island White Fish Boy, from what I understand, uh, it's a uh, slang term 
for washed up condoms on the shore. Yeah, yeah, or if like oh. it's floating in the water, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it, 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 yeah, used rubber that's been discarded in the water. Oh. Yeah, so there you go. That's what it's about. But this song, it's like the ultimate fucking diss track, and it's the heaviest song on the album. This fucking song balls out fucking rocks. It's a hard rocker. This is like the rat and rat and cellar, you know, of the album, and. It's just like, this is the thing about Aerosmith 2 in the 70s. They were tough guys. A lot of people don't know this about Aerosmith, but they weren't posers. These guys, they, Steven Tyler was like, like a street thug. They were all, they're, a, a lot of people don't know, they changed their names uh, to be less ethnic. But Steven Tyler and Joe Perry are both Italian. Uh, you know, Steven Tyler's an Italian-American. And they grew up in, uh, Steven Tyler grew up in Yonkers. And, which was a tough, it's kind of a tough area outside of New York City. And he was part of street gangs and stuff, and they had some mob co- connections and stuff like that. Like, he, he kind of grew up like Mean Streets type shit. And he was in Juvenile Hall, a uh, little like Bon Scott, you know, he was in Juvenile Hall. And like Bon Scott, like, you know, he was, you know, he, he'd gotten into trouble with the law and stuff when he was an adolescent. He was ju- juvenile delinquent. And so Aerosmith had this toughness there that obviously after decades and decades of being rich and famous and becoming stars and hosting American Idol, fucking any trace of that is totally fucking gone from Steven Tyler. But it wasn't in the 70s. Like when you look at these clips of Aerosmith in the 70s, like they just look tough. Steven Tyler looks like a badass, even though he's a skinny motherfucker, you know, skinny druggy rock star. He he looks looks like the middle aged mom that lets her daughter drink. But yeah, he just tough, <laughs> yeah. Tough, yeah, tough, hard, boozy person. Like that will fuck you up with a knife if you fuck them up. If you if you if you talk shit their way. But anyway, Aerosmith had a toughness to them, and this song has it in spades. That toughness comes through in the music, Steven Tyler's vocals, great lyrics. I these are this whole album. Is some of Steven Tyler's best lyrics. They're amazing, and this the guitar riffs and you know, both. Joe and Brad are kicking ass on this one. It's just so badass. And this, to me, it's like, I don't understand why this is not a bigger song with Aerosmith fans. Like, I don't hear people talk about the song enough. It's one of their best songs, in my opinion. It's uh, it's maybe a top ten favorite Aerosmith song for me. Second favorite song on the album. It kicks fucking ass. I love Bone to Bone. What do you think of it, Lee? Yeah, this is maybe my ultimate favorite song on the album. Right on. It, it depends upon my mood, whether three small, three miles small, or this is my favorite. But right now, this is my favorite. The lyrics make me think they were influenced by the out by the movie The Warriors. Ooh, it's, yep. it's a cool though weird story, and the music fits it. It's pretty hot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're like street gangs. Yeah, totally has that vibe. So you, you, you and me, Lee, we both got our uh, the same top two. Just we just switched them around. around. Yeah, yeah, and it's weird because you said it's about a condom, which she's, you know, talking to a guy, <laughs> and, and and so it's like, is she actually talking to the condom, talking about when the <laughs> condom walked here and walked there, I and think it floated just... <laughs> through, the, through the street, and then now, now she's saying Coney Island Whitefish Boy is coming around again, meaning another lady will grab it and give it to another guy? Or, I, I, I think I, he I can don't... only come in at once. I, I don't okay. think my interpretation that it's not literal. It's more like like they're like I said a diss track, like where they're, they're calling someone like it, like you're like a used rubber, like they're it's like calling someone oh, like yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, he's throwing some shit at the, shade at this person that he's singing about. You know, it's like a fighting song. Like oh, you're nothing yeah. but a Coney Island Mike Footfish Boy punk. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's at least that's how I interpret it. So what do you think of Bone to Bone, Coney Island, Whitefish Boy, Eric? Oh, that's something fucking rules. You know, Aerosmith, you know, they're a blue they're not a metal band, they're like a blues bluesy like hard rock band. But man, they will have those fucking songs that are almost like damn near borderline heavy metal that are so fucking heavy. This is one of those fucking songs. The guitar work fucking rules, some heavy guitar playing, and the way Steven Tyler sings this, like, he's spitting some fucking venom. Like, the way he delivers is so aggressive on this song. Like, you can tell, like, man, he's he's singing about someone he wants to fuck up, you know? This is, like, you know, a street, a fucking street song, you know? And it, I like how Lee pointed out the Warriors. I didn't even think about that. You know, that's one of my favorite fucking movies ever. And this song fucking rules. I could this song could have worked well in the soundtrack to that movie, but god damn I love this fucking song. Amazing. One of the really best probably my favorite song off side two. Awesome, nice. So we that's science. We all know Bone to Bone kicks ass. Okay, so, so then we get to the third cover on this album, and it's a Yardbirds cover. It's very interesting. It's actually a B side. It's a very oh. obscure Yardbirds. I bet Lee might know about this. He knows a lot about obscure. Jimmy Lee Page co-wrote it. Yeah. It's, it's a Jimmy Page written song. In fact, if you listen to the original, there. I, I'll just say now, I love both versions. Uh, the original is really great too. It's it's in oh. a it's an interesting song because in the original version, it's the it's from the period like uh, after uh, Jeff Beck left the Yardbirds, it was just Jimmy Page. He was the bassist, and then he became the guitarist. And it's from there, like, uh, they did one album with Jimmy Page doing all the guitar work, and and that was the um, Little Games. I think that's the name of the album, Little Games. And that was the one right before the band disbanded, and they became the New Yardbirds, and, of course, Jimmy Page returned uh, into Led Zeppelin to Eric's uh, dismay. So, but <laughs> in the original song, it, it was a B-side, so it wasn't an album track. It was just a B-side. And, but it was an awesome rocking song, and Jimmy Page does essentially he does a the prototype of the dazed and confused guitar solo. Like if you listen to the original, yeah. think about about it, you hear Jimmy Page is doing that awesome guitar solo from very heavy metal uh, guitar solo from Dazed and Confused. He did it on this. It's interesting because Brad Whitford doesn't maybe because he didn't want to sound like because that guitar solo became so famous like he didn't want think maybe he thought people would think it was weird that he start doing the dazed and confused guitar solo so he kind of does his own thing on it but it's awesome i love what the uh, brad whitford does he does these cool sound effects that go like when the guitar does that cool feedback distorted thing where it goes doo -doo 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 -doo. i can't really make the sound but you know what the sound <laughs> awesome sounds about. like a squawking evil terror pterodactyl or something <laughs> it's it's a really badass tune it's, you know, I, I just call it killer filler, you know, but it's it's not one of the highlights, but it's killer filler. It's a fine second to last track. It's 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 one, you know, Yardbirds were a big influence on Aerosmith, and obviously it's just something they whipped up real fast with Whitford after Joe Perry left, but apparently they did used to play this in the clubs in the early days, and it's a cool song, and I dig their version too. Uh, I think it's just as good as the original, maybe a little bit better because it rocks a little more. It's a little punchier. And I think it's a great cover and some great guitar work from Brad Whitford and you know Tyler. You know it's the fucking it's Aerosmith on Night in the Rust. So of course I love it. So what do you think <laughs> of think about it? Are Lee? Are you familiar with the yeah. original Yardbirds? Um, I did hear it to before I heard this review uh, before we did this review so I could be a, 
familiar with it, and, and so I knew of it, but I didn't really hear it until now. So I was going to say that this is a cover of Yardbirds tune, and it's ten times better than the original, which is like a boring filler song. I do like Jimmy Page's solo, but oh my word, it, 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 it's like Snoop City to me. <laughs> and Aerosmith took it and made it like a classic. I love this. Several thumbs up for me. Right on. So what do you think of Think About It, Eric? Let me think about it. Oh, uh, this song uh, fuck. <laughs> I'm going to add up. But, uh, I see what yeah, you did there. Uh, think about it. Holy shit, this song rules, man. This is another one that's like almost borderline heavy metal sounding with that guitar work by Brad fucking Whitford, baby. Um, you know, like I said, you know, Joe Perry, nothing against him. He, he's a good guitar player. I'm not saying he sucks. But, man, he's no Brad Whitford, man. Brad Whitford can tear it up, man. You know, he, he can he can shred on that guitar. I fucking love this damn song. And it's kind of, almost sounds like a jam session-y kind of song. There's really not that many lyrics in it. You know, Steven Tyler is really not on a lot of this song. He kind of comes in a little bit, but he's not doing anything too crazy. It's almost like a jam session, kind of, where he comes in a little bit here and there. Like, it sounds like a song that they're he's working on lyrics for, ironically, because he was working, that was the thing he struggled with throughout making this album. But it sounds like, uh, you know, a song where a band's jamming, they got something good going, and you got the singer that just kind of comes in with a couple little ideas during the whole jam session. I love this tune. It's just so amazing. My only complaint, I just hate that opening little guitar thing. I don't like that. It's cringy. I hate that thing. But after that, like, five seconds, however long that is, it kicks into an amazing fucking song. Think about it fucking rules. I don't need to think about how much I fucking love that song. Awesome. So now we're getting to the finale. And this is back in the day. Back in the wonderful 70s. And you know what? One of the things that makes the 70s so awesome is it was a decade in which Aerosmith only did one ballad on an album. <laughs> and most of the time, it was the last song, you know, or the second to last song in one case. But usually it was like the last song. And I love this ballad. It's fucking dark. Perhaps the darkest song on the album. And this this ain't going to be a hit, so they didn't even bother. You know, it's a ballad, but it ain't a, it ain't a single, you know. Um and Aerosmith didn't have successful ballads. That's the thing. They tried Dream On, you know, which is a ballad, although not. It's you know, it's not. It's not. It's not a love song. Let's just say that you know, Dream On. It's a ballad, but it has rock. It's a. It's an interesting song. Actually, it's very unique. I think. No, and it's I, not interesting, but it's I like it. I, I think it's diff- It's a unique song. I don't think it sounds like a lot of stuff. I mean, I'm having even a problem describing it. So I think that means it's a little unique. But it's. It's. I, I'm about Dream On, not good song. All I can say about Dream On is I never need to hear the song again. That's all. That's good. I never get sick of Dream On. I, but I think it's a really unique song. It's a little close to kind of what something the Beatles would do, I think, actually. With the heart yeah. support. All right, well, all right I'll, I'll be quiet. It's a classic song, Lee. You might not like uh, it, but uh, All right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, but I respect your opinion. Anyway. But I like this song better. So, uh, in Home Tonight is a really cool way to end uh, rock. Oh, but, God, no! Uh, I'm I like, a fan of Home Tonight. I, it's simple. It's a nice, it's short, it's sweet. It's like a cap off for the album. Uh, no. You see, no. Uh, you know, right, I, right, I'll, I'll show. obviously Seasons of Wither is the best. If you even oh, count that as a ballad. 
That's I perfect. remember the first time I heard that. My friend had just bought Get Your Wings because I was the last of the classic 70s Aerosmith albums he didn't have yet. Yeah. And he found it at uh, FYE one day. I think it was our birth. I think it was our birthdays. His mom took us to the FYE, and they were going out of business at the time. And it was me, Nick Mills, and uh, another one of our friends, uh, Steve. Uh, all of our birthdays are on March, and they're all within two weeks of each other. So Nick Mills' mom took us to the mall and gave us like you know whatever, like thirty bucks or twenty bucks or something each. And we just bought whatever we wanted at FYE. And he found Get Your Wings, so he had been trying to find it. I just remember us listening to it that night and just being blown away because it was the first time I heard that whole album besides the singles and Seasons of Wither. Just the way, you know, Train Caparon, which is an amazing song in itself, bleeds into Seasons of Wither. And, oh, it's such a fucking beautiful ballad, man. Just fucking game changer. Yeah, uh, yeah, Seasons of Wither, when I first heard it, became instantly my favorite Aerosmith song, and it still is to this day. It gets Aerosmith better song. every time you hear it. Yeah, it's, it grows with you. Uh, it's an amazing song, and so that's uh, if you count that as a ballad. Again, I think it's more than it. a ballad, but it kind of but it gets hard rocking in spots, spots, uh, spots, and it gets uh, it's kind of trippy. It's a little psychedelic. Yeah, but I, it's it's just kind of unique, you know. Like a definite ballad is like from Toys in the Attic, you know, um, "You See Me Crying." Now that's a ballad. But yeah, that's I don't a, care for that one. And I hate it. I like that song, but I get it. I can get why people would hate Ew. it. It's very poppy. It's probably the thing that most foreshadows their ballots in the 90s. Uh, oh. but, but it's better. It's better than those, I think. And But you know what? That was a failed single. That did not do well, even though I, you can tell they thought You See Me Crying would be like a Beth or something. Like, that was going to be a hit. And it didn't. People I don't liked, like Beth either. But, yeah, oh, but, I fucking love Beth. Yeah, That's my Beth, favorite song off Ew. the floor. Beth yeah, huh? I'm not a big Beth guy either. Uh, it's all right, but you know. But the thing is, you see me crying for whatever reason. It didn't take off. You listen to that and you think that sounds like it could have been a hit in the mid '70s. But for what? I just think the Denim Army people that liked Aerosmith didn't like them doing ballads like that. I just there think it is yeah. a interesting um, tidbit that I found out. A quote from Joe Perry. He said that Steven Tyler was so drugged up one day or something that. He heard you see me crying, and they were walking by, and he didn't even remember the song. And was, <laughs> oh my god, this is an awesome song! We should <laughs> do a cover of it. And then Joe Perry said, "That's our song, you dumb shit." Well, he must have been on drugs to think that was a good fucking song. Yeah, pretty, I'm surprised you like the Beatles. That's a very Beatles-esque kind of yeah, song. But I like the Beatles doing no. songs, not fucking Aerosmith. I think, but it is. I will admit, it, at least back then they only they had the nerve to only put one ballad on each album. Whereas you know nowadays they put on an album with 20 songs well, and like two thirds of it are ballads. Well, yeah, I mean, think about not it. Not that like, I like Beth, but I like it better than you see me crying. I, I you know, you a lot. You see You'll see me, cry. me crying after hearing that fucking song. Jesus. It, it, it comes on like after round and round. It's so different. It's kind of thing like the Beatles would have done, like having a, like a heavy song and then a ballad afterwards uh, like that. Yeah, but it's Aerosmith. They're not the Beatles. Well, you know, hey, people can inspire. I like it. But I'll say this. Obviously, by 1979, Aerosmith gave up any hopes of having a successful ballad. <laughs> uh, unless maybe they thought Remember Walking in Sand would kind of do that for them. But Mia, obviously, is not a song written to be a single. You know, it's a ballad, but it's dark. It's a dark, 
dark lullaby. It's weird because he, I mean, I guess because he's a fucking drug fiend. He, <laughs> he writes this dark song for his baby daughter, Mia. <laughs> yeah. That, it's like, who the fuck writes a song like this for their daughter? It sounds like death is coming for her. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, I know who. A coked up, fucking crazy, junky rock and roll singer. That's it. <laughs> it's dark, man. And then, like, the end when the chords hit and the breathing, it's like a horror movie. It's creepy. It's perhaps the creepiest song that Aerosmith ever wrote. And it ends this album on a very dark, unsettling, haunting note. And I think it's beautiful. It's not one of my favorite songs on the album. But it's it's a darkly beautiful uh, finale, and it's it's again it's just creepy. But I like that. I like when an album ends with a kind of a curveball like this, and it's something that you know when Aerosmith were at their best. To me, I know you don't like them, but the kind of like Led Zeppelin or <laughs> the Beatles, you know, or sometimes when the Stones were a little more experimental. It's like that willingness to just throw different curveballs, different shades. It's something that. When Aerosmith was at their best in the 70s, they could play, they were up there with the big boys. You know, they could do that. Their albums took you to different places. They had that versatility in their musicianship and songwriting. And, you know, Mia's just all, it's pretty much just Steven Tyler. It's like a solo Steven Tyler song at the end of the album. And it's really cool. I like it. So, what do you think of this song, Lee? I actually like this. I do think it's a cool song. And I like it, but it's a very eerie way to end the album. It's like the whole album was playing and everybody was at a cake party having a good time. <laughs> and suddenly all the lights go out and a weird silhouette of a man in an overcoat and wide brimmed hat appears at the window. And the window <laughs> flies open and a cold breeze comes in and everybody is gone. And this music comes in. That is my favorite description. That lead that is my favorite description of a song I've ever yeah. heard. <laughs> what you. was he doing there? What was the guy in the coat doing there? Um, he's like imagine, but so it's very effective. <laughs> but I feel like I need to hear one more song after it because I don't like the last song to be so cold and eerie. Still, it's my favorite ballad Steven Tyler wrote, and I did hear one more song after it. I heard my favorite Aerosmith song after it. Yeah, just uh, maybe, if it makes you feel better, go uh, and listen to the Chip Away at the Stone single. I'll <laughs> uh, cheer you up. Uh, okay. but, yeah, that, favorite, um, um, Aerosmith song is Combination. Oh, awesome song. Yeah, I remember that when you did your Kiss of uh, Aerosmith track. Uh, I also know, um, there's a group called Man, not the Welsh group, but the American group, and Richie Super, who wrote Chip Away the Stone, was in that group. Yeah, he he actually, he plays some guitar work on uh, this album as well. He did, cool. uh, yeah. So, uh, so I loved how you described that, Lee, and you're spot on. It's like, yeah, it's like suddenly there was a party, and then suddenly death shows up at the party. <laughs> Someone ODs or some shit. Yeah, it's dark. So what, I'm very curious what you think of this song, Eric. So what do you think of it? I got Mitt Man have all the Aerosmith uh, ballads besides Season of Wither and Dream On, because those ones are god-tier. This is my favorite, like, you know, closing ballad for uh, Aerosmith album. I think they finally get it right, you know, see, You See Me Crying, and uh, what, what the fuck oh, was the other one? Uh, 
back home again or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, this home song, again. This song takes a big colossal like you know, it, like concussion grenade shit over those fucking shitty songs. This song rules. I love how fucking dark it is. Uh, I mean, Steven Tyler, I, I could see him writing a you know writing a song for his daughter that could be kind of fucking creepy because I don't know Steven Tyler. There's something off about that guy. There's just something yeah. kind of creepy. Especially in recent years, there's something creepy about him. I just. If I had kids, I don't think I would trust my kids around Steven Tyler. He gives off kind of a creeper vibe. <laughs> He's a talented man, but he gives off that creepy vibe. I, I have I, don't, I have uneasy thoughts about him. But uh, <laughs> uh, this song fucking rules, man. I, I You know, Steven Tyler, I heard that there's rumors that his newest girlfriend's like in the womb still. You know, he just gives off. <laughs> He's creepy, man. There's something wrong about him, but he's a great singer. But Mia, a fucking amazing, creepy fucking song. I know the band even talked about, like, you know, the reason this song sounds so dark is because I believe this song was written, like, pretty much when the band was done. This is, like, one of the final songs they did. So what started as, like, a lullaby song for his dark kind of turned into a dark song just from everything that was going on. He said it's basically like a funeral for the band, basically. You know, this is the funeral for Aerosmith because they were done. They, They knew, like, there's really no coming back from this with all the drug problems Issues with the record company, Joe Perry leaving, it was really going downhill. So, you know, in retrospect, yeah, I, you know, it's kind of a cool way to end the album because this was kind of the, the breakup album, even though they did do Rock in a Hard Place, you know, shortly after. But I mean, this was like kind of the last classic Aerosmith album. Band was done at this, after this point. But really fucking cool song. I love the darkness of it. And I love Lee's visual. I'd love to see Aerosmith do yeah. a music video like that for this song. And maybe yeah. the guy in the trench coat is like Steven Tyler at the end. Uh, yeah. yeah. I like it. Yeah, I want to see that video now, too. Hell yeah. yeah it's, it's a good, good job, Lee. They, oh, yeah. That I think that the guy in the trench coat came to say, I'm the one who brought this song because you were all partying. And he's the guy who's mouthing Mia. And when they say, what the hell does Mia mean? He says, freak out first before I tell you. Kind of like that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, That is going to be haunting my nightmares tonight. Maybe he goes over to, like, his daughter. It could be like uh, the... I, I, you know, I talk a lot of shit about Led Zone, but I love the live version of No Quarter from Song Remains the Same. They could do something similar, like with John Paul Jones, where he's riding around the horse with the creepy mask, but then he comes home and he walks through the door, rips the mask off, and he just sees his family. And it, it's perfect because it's creepy, but it's also like a song about his fucking daughter. So, oh, right there. Yeah, he just came up with a kick ass video. <laughs> Make it awesome, or instead, move it. Art and he meant out, but he forgot that <laughs> out was O U T instead of A R T. Imagine Mia, his daughter, like just being like, "Oh, this is the song my dad wrote for me." And oh, she plays it. She's like, "Oh my god, it's that," you know. But you know, I don't know what, what what's weirder that or making his hot daughter live shaking her ass in the crazy. Oh, th- that's another thing, too. <laughs> Steven Tyler, literally, like, that's creepy. Why the Holy fuck are you going to cast your daughter song. in a sexy role in, a mu- in one of your music videos? <laughs> like, he, like they have all these hot models. We're like, okay, we need, like, a, we're doing a schoolgirl theme. We need, like, two hot girls. He's like, oh, my daughter. Yeah. Like, like uh, no one's uh, laughing, man. Like, that's messed up. 
shake it a little bit more for daddy. Oh God, yeah, that's some creepy <laughs> shit. Like I'm like Steven Tyler. Like I said, great fucking singer, amazing frontman. Uh, just don't go near. Just don't go near anyone's kids. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh my God. Oh Lord. It's you fun. know it's funny because I love to see Aerosmith. Like listen, maybe it's far fetched, but I love to have them listen to this episode. And they hear Lee Gershman's idea for that music video, thinking like, "Oh, we should do something like that." And then they hear me talking about that shit, and they're like, "Oh, fuck these, like, fuck these guys." Then no, I, I, so I, I have a feeling that every member of Aerosmith but Steven Tyler would love that. <laughs> <laughs> they all hate, think he's a dick. <laughs> but I mean, did you read like in the recent interview, Joe Perry? He didn't say it directly, but. When it was, he was pushed again, like to ask, like, "Wait, why don't you guys just go in the studio and just knock out a hard rock album like you used to do, like in the '70s? Like that seems to be the thing for a lot of these older bands now, you know, going back to your roots. Like, yeah, like why not? Unless you're like, Iron Maiden, yeah, why not do that? You know." And Joe Perry essentially said, in a kind of diplomatic way, that he didn't want to be in a studio with Steven Tyler. <laughs> it was like the way he talked talk around it a little yeah. bit. He seems like a real asshole, like, because he's the most Hollywood out of all of them. Like, he's yep. even, it used to be him and Joe Perry were the big names, but now, like, Steven Tyler's surpassing. He, uh, he well, seems to be all Mr. Hollywood. Well, Joe Perry still likes rock and roll, you know. He, yeah. He'd like it, to do that. In fact, like, in the early uh, 2000s, when they did just push play, Joe Perry kind of, in protest, you could kind of tell, or as contrast, he released a pretty cool solo album. I don't know if you ever listened to the Joe Perry solo album from the early listen- 2000s. It's much. It's a little the, bluesy, so you might not like it. But it's I, much. I listened to the first one. I just cannot get into it. I didn't like the singer. That was, you know, and the songs really weren't the greatest. But man, that singer I think was. Oh, horrible. you made for the Joe Perry project. Oh, oh yeah, South Station Dues or Blues or whatever. Yeah, that song South Station is. Blues is a great that's, song. That's 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 an awesome song. Which Joe Perry himself sang. Yeah, it, the, actually, yeah. the Joe Perry project songs were better when Joe Perry sang because uh, he's like kind of ace freely. He just kind of has a cool voice. Like he's not a great singer by any means, but he sounds cool. But I agree, that singer for the Joe Perry project sucked. He was very generic. Oh, terrible. You could totally hear, like, just, like, listen to that version of, um, let the music do the talking, and then listen to the Aerosmith version, night and oh, day. yeah. You could just, that shows you everything that makes, like, Aerosmith, A, the rhythm section, but also I Steven Tyler. My ass can sing better lead vocals than his singer. I'm not talking about that, though. I'm talking about a solo album he released in the early 2000s uh, that was just called Joe Perry. Uh-huh. And I think I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, it had, I don't like either version of that song, but go on. But he, he, it's kind of like a lot of the riffs are very draw-the-line-y, very bluesy, a lot of slide oh. guitar work. And you can hear, like, these would probably have been on an Aerosmith album if, at the time... I probably Steven, wouldn't listen to that. Yeah, Steven Tyler wasn't obsessed with trying to be hip with the kids or the teenage girls and trying to make them go oh, you know, pop. And this is the thing, too. Like, that last album they did, like, you could tell, like, half the songs are kind of trying to be kind of what they were. I mean, they're not that great, but you could tell that they're trying to be hard rock. And then there's all these really horrible piano ballads from Steven Tyler. Like, he kept trying to chase... The Armageddon song. And every time he tried to chase that song, it got worse and worse and worse. Dude, every time I hear that fucking... You know, everyone thinks of Armageddon. Every time I hear Don't Want to Miss a Thing, I think of that movie, The Sweetest Thing. So every time I hear Don't Want to Miss a Thing, I think of the scene where Selma Blair literally has her throat caught on a fucking guy's wiener piercing, his Prince Albert, and they're trying to pull her head off. And so their solution is to sing Don't Want... Make her sing Don't Want to Miss a Thing to get her, like, to get his piercing out of her tonsils. 
I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's a very disturbing yeah, scene. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, I always think of uh, uh, Blades of Glory when they have their homoerotic skate scene to it. Oh, God. Pretty it's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> hey, I've never that, seen that movie, but I need to... I, I, it's one I keep meaning to see because I do love fucking... Uh, I do love some Will Ferrell movies. It's a, it's a funny movie. Uh, I would say... Uh, I'm not a fan of that Armageddon song, but yeah, I, I don't want to miss a thing. Don't want to miss a thing. I'd love to miss hearing that fucking song. Compared to some of those ballads, though, on um, that last Aerosmith album, uh, "Music from Another Dimension," oh, woo, it made it made it made that song sound like Seasons of Wither. Oh, my you're gonna God. give me a lot of shit, but I actually do love one of those ballads. Oh, I know. It's, it's the worst hard. one. Like, it's the worst one. I know it's like, I shouldn't like this, but I can't help but like it. It's the <laughs> Carrie Underwood one. Oh, it's horrible. Oh, it's like, I don't... Like, I know it's a bad song, but I, I'm like... But there are worse ones, though. though. But anyway, yeah, so all these ballads are horrible, and it's really clear that Steven Tyler is forcing this on the other four guys. Like, you know, they don't want to do that shit. He plays <laughs> drums on the, the newer albums, too, because, yeah. like, I think they have the issues now with Joey, uh, Joey yeah, Kramer. Yeah, Joey Kramer, yeah, is having health problems. He can't do it anymore. Uh, Steven Tyler, a lot of people don't know, kind of like Bon Scott, he was originally a drummer. And he like Tablatore. Yeah, and he actually, in the early writing, and this is interesting because Joe Perry does reference this in that interview I was talking about. He says, because... Back in the day, how the writing process went was normally Steven Tyler would be on drums in the early days with Joe Perry or Brad Whitford, and Joey Kramer would kind of come in and learn the parts. And apparently, Tyler was a real task man, you know, master, and really hard on Joey Kramer. But, you know, he pushed Joey Kramer to do some amazing drum lines, but apparently he was a real asshole about it. Oh, uh, yeah. But, you know, it's probably like McCartney, you know, with the, with George Harrison, you know, and Let It Be, you know, telling you <laughs> that. So, because uh, he's a perfectionist. But, yeah. you know, which is one thing when he was a perfectionist making great hard rock music. It's another thing when you want to do fucking piano ballads for the, yeah. Amer for the Amer Bon Jovi fucking shit. Yeah, for the American Idol crowd. So obviously, Steven Tyler is all obsessed with American Idol and being hip with the kids. And it's the thing, it's funny because, like, nothing makes you seem older and less hip than trying to be hip. Yeah, yeah, he's like a Tommy Lee almost. Yeah. And he's got, his mouth is as big as his fucking ego. And it's just so sad because his, he still has the voice. He does. Like, you know, so he could do it. He's not like John Bonfoni or Paul Stanley. Like, he uh. still has the voice, you know. And, but his taste and what he wants to do now, and you can tell, more or less, if you read between the lines in the Joe Perry interview, he pretty much said, you can't pay me enough to get in the studio with that dickhead that's making us play these lame ballads. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, like a Sebastian Bach. Yeah. So, but... If you pay us in Vegas and we go up there and we're just on the stage for two hours and we play some songs, fine, I'll do that. I'll do that. But you can't get me into a studio with Steven Tyler again. Yeah. That's pretty much what he said. So, you know, if you read between the lines, and if Joe Perry thinks that, you can only imagine what the other three guys think. Yeah, because you think him and Joe Perry are probably the closest. Yeah. So, yeah, everyone else probably fucking hates him. Yeah, and Joe Perry's definitely the second most Hollywood of the guys. But yeah. if Joe Perry thinks that, you know the other three definitely think it. So so that's why we're never gonna get another Aerosmith album again. But considering <laughs> the considering the last two, that's a that's Oh, a they're good. sparing us. Yeah. So anyway <laughs> so, only Iron Man could stop putting out fucking albums. There was a time. There was a time, nineteen seventy nine, where Aerosmith was a badass dirty, down and dirty hard rock band, and they were playing for the Denim Army, and they were fucking awesome. They were playing for a young Lee Gerstmann who was into cool yeah. music. And thank oh, yeah. you so much, Lee. You were awesome yeah. in this episode. Uh, right, um, 
Is it? And go because check I it. kept quiet and I didn't scream as much because I was only a guest. You were very well behaved, Lee. I gotta say, very well behaved. But you well, bought hey, it. And you that's needed all it. I was sleeping. I'm kidding. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all that vodka. Uh, so, uh, but Lee. So, in, in addition, like we said before, check out Lee as the co-host with the with the uh, fucking fi- fireball snorting legend uh, Mark Allen Taylor. Who yeah, I got our I he did that. Well, he survived. He survived. Me and he Mark looked in, for now. We looked into it. We looked I'm into it. I'm not going to get into it, but I picked an album that he's not going to love at all. <laughs> well, that's I, 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 I don't think people should do that. They can, <laughs> they, they, they can act like a, like a, you know what, um, and talk, but when they do stuff physical. I think I, that, that's drawing the line. I looked, me and Mark both Googled it, and apparently it can't kill you. Unless yeah, you do it again and nose, again. It, yeah. If it went up his ass, I that would be very that dangerous. That'd be lethal. <laughs> can't, for all of our listeners out there, do not put alcohol in your ass. Really, it will kill you. Really you would have done but, that. Oh, how I would have done stupid or but, stuff. But, but, <laughs> only as a joke, but I mean, my word, at his age, it's like... I'm not asking for an intellectual like Joel Selvin as a podcast host, but I also don't want to say, oh. Now, his keyboard was not safe. Oh, man. Uh, It's entertaining, but it's a trilogy, so he's done. He's done. Yeah, he's he's done. He had to do it. Well, well, if he felt like he really needed to do it, then who am I to say that (laughs) he did? Yeah, for the record, he was going to do it. Regardless, I wasn't edging him on to do the third one. I just once he said that he felt the need to do finish the trilogy, and as a writer, you know, I could appreciate that. I just do Fireball. Well, yeah, you might as well do Fireball. I mean, if you're gonna do it, you might as well go out with a bang, you know. Yeah, (laughs) but but yeah, he's not. He's he's done. He might do it again for Rock and Pod Live, but that's that's it. So (laughs) anyway, so Lee 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 is a co-host with that Madman Mark Allen Taylor, and together they're both they're like doubly mad. (laughs) So if you want to listen to some crazy shit, and they review yeah. all kinds of albums, all different kinds of albums, so definitely check out that podcast. Lee himself, sometimes, you know, he has YouTube videos that he puts out. You and your own podcast, too. You got your own podcast. Yeah, the Lee Show. You got that, so definitely check out all that stuff. And also some of those old Rock and Metal Combat podcast episodes, which are legendary. I believe they did oh, the, yeah. my favorite album of all time, ACDC Power, which was with Lee. I remember that. So definitely check that out. I want to hear one where I'm acting really obnoxious. Listen to the Judas Priest one. Which oh, one was that? Was fucking Defenders epic. of the Faith. That okay. was awesome. Defenders of the Faith. Yeah, check that out. That's one of my favorite Judas Priest albums too. So that's awesome. It's, so Lee, actually, a review where I where I got Ian to say, "Okay, Lee, thank you, Lee, thank you, Lee. Okay, Lee, okay, Lee, okay." <laughs> <laughs> check and, that and out. I didn't actually stop in time. Okay. But anyway, well, you were very well behaved on the show. Yeah, I was very impressed. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, Lee, so do you have any recommendations? Any album or anything that you would like to recommend to people right now? Well, one thing that that is in line with this is Jimmy Crispo was in a group called Flame, and and if you find their album Queen of the Neighborhood, if you find it on YouTube, that has the vocalist Marge Raymond. And she was pretty interesting. And she actually, when I heard an interview with her, um, with her, 
she was going to be in the Shangri-Las, but they told her, no boys. And she said, well, I have a boyfriend, so I don't want to break up with him. So she decided not to go in the group. But she could have been in the Shangri-Las if she mm. had decided mm. not to do that. But she said, George, uh, like, like um, Morton was a very scary or very intense guy. So she said, this kind of, she said she might have um, foregone possible fame, but she said it was probably for the better. And so she she did stuff with um, Jimmy Crespo in in the group Flame, the, the album Queen of the Neighborhood, and um, that title song has a good Jimmy Crespo solo. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking at the cover right now, actually, and you know what? I've never listened to it, which is crazy. I know I'm gushing over Jimmy Crispo, and here I go, and I didn't listen to this album. I'm totally going to listen to this album tonight. It on um, vinyl. Is uh yeah uh yeah it looks cool. It's got a cool album cover too. They look tough. She yeah. looks like a tough chick. Um so yeah. and Jimmy Crispo's got a cool cool jacket on. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I um had tweeted her on on Twitter. And asked her what she thought of my music and gave her a song and she, she got back to me. Oh, cool. You know, so that's really cool. The other group I would mention is, um, if you can find, um, like, it's not the Led Zeppelin song, it's a different song, but if you find the video for, for the song Black Dog by a group called Babe Ruth, you know, yeah. Look, look! Look at some of the the live versions um, with with the uh, with with um, Janetta Hahn or Jenny Hahn. She she goes by Jenny, but it's also Janetta. She also she also got back to me when I messaged her on Twitter about my music. But but I mean, look at her. She she does a lot of interesting dance moves, and and their album. If 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 you can find the the album, well. The, the one that, that, that I well first space or or that um um that that that's a good album to find cool okay and good stuff good recommendations and actually you mentioned the band oh, I'm gonna oh, I was I was oh. actually thinking of the album stealing home all right so all the, right the first space of stealing home but stealing home is the album to listen to. Okay, I will definitely check that out. And you mentioned what I'm going to recommend uh, because Eric loves him so much, Led Zeppelin. Oh. I I'm going to recommend. Oh, wow. Actually, it's an album that he reviewed on your show. Actually, Presence, which I is, think that that's actually my favorite Led Zeppelin album. It's my second favorite Led Zeppelin album. My favorite's Physical Graffiti, but Presence that's actually my second. Um, and 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 yeah. sometimes it, it it got it got switched. Physical Graffiti was my first, so. We're still pretty yeah, we're close there. We're still pretty close, just like we were on this album. Yeah, the, yeah, pretty close. Yeah. And yeah, I love it. I yeah, I liked a lot of what you you and uh you know Mark Eric not so much had to say <laughs> in that video uh, in that podcast. But yeah, this is a it's a kind of like their Night in the Ruts for a lot of reasons. A, it's my second favorite album from the band, just like Night in Ruts is. But it's also it's dark. It's like their darkest album, just like Night in Ruts is. It's very just in it. Yeah. It's very timeless. It doesn't sound like anything else from that period. Achilles' Last Stand, of course, it's, that's a song so awesome that even Eric liked it. <laughs> but when I saw when I was at the um, Foster's Freeze, where I first heard the Aerosmith song, that was also where I they the the forty five 
um, of Led Zeppelin, um, Candy Store Rock and Royal Orleans, and I used to go there and listen to both of them, and they're both my favorite songs off of those albums. Yeah, the, I I love every song on this album. It's 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 great. It's you know I think the only songs that ca- casual fans would maybe even remotely know are Achilles Last Stand or Candy Store Rock or maybe Nobody's Fault but Mine. But yeah. this is like Night in the Ruts. It's like an album that's not it's not filled with hits. You know, yeah. it's a lot of album tracks. So it's like it's for us people that are really obsessed with music and the diehards. Yeah. Well. Yeah, and so if you only know like popular Led Zeppelin, and you want to listen to the kind of like a lot of cool deep tracks and something that's a little, a little harder, a little yeah. darker, a little you know, but still kind of bluesy in spots, yeah. I definitely recommend Presence. It's an amazing album, one of my favorite albums, one of my favorite album covers. Cool album cover, Hypnosis. They did great, you know, album covers, and I love it. I think it's a masterpiece, and it's a great album. You should check it out. And Eric. What are you vibing on this week? Oh man, so I got two picks, and they're two two polar opposite picks, man. Um, the first one I'm gonna go with is something a little different than from the Rock All Over You podcast, and that's Run DMC's Rock Box. Uh, oh. You know, I'm not a big rap fan. I really just you know never not not my thing. You know, I, I mean, hey, I, if you like rap, hey, it's cool, but. Not my thing, but I'm gonna recommend. Uh, actually, no, it's Run DMC self-titled album. I thought it was yeah. called Rockbox, but uh, but listen to some Run DMC, man. They're probably the only rap group I really enjoy. Like, you know, this is back when you know Vincent Cabanat commented because uh, I posted a video of theirs on the page, and he mentioned it. He made a good point. You know, this one like rap was like kind of fun. You know, rap rap music just kind of took on a whole different you know style where. You know, it's just a bunch of obnoxious, like, loud, blaring bass, crappy samples, and, like, just people mumbling about drugs and weed and disrespecting people and talking shit. Uh, whereas Run DMC, man, was, it's fun music. It's, it's rap, but it's, like, funky, and they have a good mix of, like, you know, samples, but, like, actual instruments. They incorporate a lot of rock into it, and, like, a lot of funk and R&B elements. It's just, it's fun music. It's, you know... You know, I listen to most rap music nowadays, and, you know, it sounds horrible, and it just puts me in a bad mood, whereas Run DMC, man, it's fun music. So I'm going to recommend that one, and the other one I want to recommend is, you know, for anyone that likes Queensryche, uh, check out Crimson Glory Transcendence, which is their second album, and probably their, has their most biggest hit on it, Lonely. Uh, a lot of people may know the song Lonely, but Crimson Glory is a phenomenal band, they have that Queensryche sound, very progressive. Their singer, Midnight, uh, amazing vocalist, uh, just as good as Jeff Tate. And uh, they had like that interesting look because they wore these like silver masks. Oh, uh, yeah. and that was kind of like that was like their gimmick was they wore these silver masks uh, early in their career, made them kind of stand out. But holy shit, I mean, just if you like good progressive heavy metal from the '80s, like you know, you like the first four Queensryche releases. From the 80s, you'll love Crimson Glory. I mean, check out Transcendence. Even if you just know the song Lonely, if you like Lonely and you know that song, listen to the whole album if you haven't, because the the whole album is just as good as that song. But those are my two recommendations, man. Run DMC's uh, self-titled debut album and Crimson Glory Transcendence. Go give both those fucking albums a chance. 
Yeah, I'll have to check out. I don't know Crimson Glory, uh, so I'll have to listen to them. I am very familiar with the first run DMC album. Well, I love yeah. old school hip hop. That's great. That's their best album, in my opinion. And yeah. Yeah, uh, you, you said it, you know, everything you said. It, but it's got an edge to the street edge. It's upbeat, but it's just, it sounds like new, fresh music, like early rock and roll. Yeah. Rock it's box. really like raw sounding, you know? Yeah. Sucker MCs. I love that song. I, and hell uh, yeah. yeah. I love, uh, I love uh, you know, my two favorite. I love like obviously Rockbox because that was the song that got me into Run DMC. Besides the you know the Aerosmith song, yeah. but uh, Hard Times and Hard Times. It's Like That are like it's, my two favorites. Besides Rockbox on that, I'm just it's so it's so much fun. It's different. You know, if I need something different than just you know hard rock or metal. It's a great album to listen to. The kind of you know something different. Yeah. Like you probably like uh, some early LL Cool J. Check that out. I think you'd like. Okay, I'll check stuff. it out. I'll give it a chance. Wasn't yeah. in this day, but yeah, um, Mama said knock you out. Yeah, I remember that song. Yeah, yeah, I love Mama said knock you out. But yeah, I think you'd like, especially a lot of his early stuff. It's kind of similar to Run DMC. Okay, nice. so I think you'd check it out. Yeah, you'd like it. So wow, so that was a pretty awesome episode. Thanks again, Lee. Thank you for joining us, and Thank we'll. We'll have to have you on the show again. It was awesome. And Lee, why don't you, uh, before we can sign off here, why don't you send us off with a short little song real quick. Another one of your Lee Gershwin classics. All right. You might not like it, but I'll... Turn on that Casio. All right, all right. On the podcast, it's nothing but chatter. I was trying to talk, but you talked, and nothing mattered. <laughs> it would be chatter, chatter, but hey, at least I was not plastered. It was a splatter, but I was glad. I'll tell you more in the latter. <laughs> Yeah, Damn, that's all amazing. Right, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of kidding. We did talk a lot, but I mean, hey, it's your podcast, and I talked a lot, <laughs> so it was all good. You did, you did good. It just you talked just the right amount for a guestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone, the that only time that rock- I ever have, but 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 I'm, I'm glad I, I was able to do it this once. It, it was awesome. Thank oh you. yeah, well. Uh, thank you, Lee Gersman, for joining us on the Rock All Over You podcast. And join us next week where Steven Tyler comes and throws a lawsuit up our ass. And an Asian person comes and kicks us in the nuts. Next Ooh. week on the Rock All Over You podcast. Yeah.
If you're sad to see what has happened to me, you should spend the word around. 